Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes movies that aren't even on the list at all and never have been. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host and my bed partner, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm doing very good. I'm, I'm comfortable. Thank you. It feels like coming home, doesn't it? Yes, we it are. Does. We- we're recording in person back in the 250 recording suite at the moment, but we have two fantastic guests uh, joining us remotely uh, for a, what's going to be a fun discussion. First of all, the fantastic Jen Gannon. How are you, Jen? I'm good. I'm excited to get stuck into this monumental piece of work. <laughs> <laughs> Which we haven't announced, so we should continue building suspense. Jay, we have the wonderful Jason Coyle joining us as well. How are you, Jay? Uh, still quietly seating. I wasn't invited into the bed, to be honest. Like, it's fine. It's fine. We normally but, like to get, co- you know, you got to throw the idea. I think I the temperature. Day. Yeah, that, that's get warmed up. Fine. <laughs> fine. <laughs> but uh, yes, so we're doing something very special on the 250 this week. We're covering technically two movies in the same week that have not been on the 250. The past couple of weeks, we've covered The Godfather. We've covered The Godfather Part 2. This week, we're talking about the third movie in The Godfather trilogy, which is simultaneously 1990's The Godfather Part 3 and 2020's Mario Puzo's The Godfather, comma, coda, colon, The Death of Michael Corleone. And what's interesting about this discussion is that we decided, like, well, I decided when we were going to do... <laughs> When we were going to do the two, we're going to do the Godfather movies to mark the re-release of all three films and cinemas. I decided that I wanted to have uh, Jen and Jason on Um, because you guys talked about Goodfellas with us, uh, you know, back 78 odd episodes ago. You guys are our experts when it comes to mob movies. So I said, hey, you guys get to pick three of Francis Ford Coppola's kind of mob movies. you got The Godfather, which is widely regarded as one of the best movies of all time. You've got The Godfather Part 2, which is arguably the greatest sequel ever made. And you got The Godfather 3. And I reached out to Jen, and I said, Jen, which of those three movies would you like to cover? You got pick. You can pick anyone you want. And you said, I'd love to talk about The Godfather Part 3. Yeah. Why was that? I'm a sicko. I'm a pure sicko. <laughs> I love chaos. I love mess. Um, I love when everyone hates something because I have to know, like I have to really, I want to understand that I know that it can't be that bad. I, I honestly know like when there's so much cultural conversation around something and especially because I love Sofia Coppola that I knew that I wanted to talk about her and like I think there has been a kind of reassessment of it since Coda has like the reissue well the re-jig basically came out I think there has been a kind of look back on it to say did we treat this harshly and that's something that I really wanted to explore because I think you know you can talk about like as you know Brian and Dee did last week and it was great how amazing like part two is and everybody knows like that's part of cinematic history but like nobody cares about the Fredo of the you know this film family and I just wanted to like I dig in and reassess <laughs> this you know it's worth it this is a sick boy um yeah 
hey, it was passed <laughs> over, Andrew. It should have been this movie. I'm really glad that Jen didn't pass it over as a result. We didn't send this one to Las Vegas to get it out of the way for the third act of this uh, conversation we're having. Um, and yes, you kind of alluded to it there. The movie's like very troubled production, reception, development history. Because obviously this is, this is as you point out, the Frito of the franchise. And what's really interesting... Buying the- cocktail waitresses two at a time. <laughs> I mean, so. sometimes you just have to straighten it out. <laughs> You straighten this movie, you straighten a couple of movie out in public. Um, but yeah, so you have this movie where the general reception is that it, it's become a cultural punchline or it was a cultural punchline for a very, very long time. To the point that like in The Simpsons, for example, you had Bart scrolling through Montgomery Burns' secret vault and found Godfather 3 good version, which is one of those Simpsons predicts the future <laughs> jokes, arguably, which we'll probably get into in a moment, depending on Jay's reaction to Coda. Uh, but what's- <sighs> I'm not a big fan of the Simpsons predict the future thing. I'm so tired of it. But other than that, not uh, But what's really interesting is that, like, if you go back to 1990, if you go back to when the movie was released and received, uh, it was actually received relatively warmly uh, at the time, which is quite surprising. I mean, you had people like, for example, like Janet Maslin in the New York Times describing it as a valid and deeply moving continuation of the Corleone crime saga. Ebert gave this a higher rating on its release than he gave to Godfather. Godfather Part 2. He gave Godfather Part 2 three stars, and he gave Godfather Part 3 three and a half stars, saying, I suspect it is not even possible to understand this film without knowing the first two, and yet knowing them, Part 3 works better than it should, and evokes the same sense of wasted greatness, of misdirected genius. Jonathan Rosenbaum said that Francis Ford Coppola's tragic and worthy if uneven, in brackets, conclusion to his Godfather trilogy uh, is, is very worth celebrating. You had Patrick Wilson, uh, you know, saying lavish, complex and fascinating. The Godfather Part 3 is a major accomplishment. You had Eric Snyder saying that like Godfather Part 3 is about one man's quest for redemption, spiritually and worldly. And as a character study, it works beautifully. And this is a movie that was nominated for Best Picture. And I know that's the point where like everybody rolls their eyes and like the Best Picture nomination doesn't mean anything. But generally speaking, a movie has to have at least some level of warm reception in order to get a Best Picture nomination. Uh, there are two obvious exceptions in the past uh, 20 years. Jay can probably name them off the top of his head, but like two Best Picture nominees out of the 80 odd. I could name about 40 there. <laughs> general critical reception, general well, critical mood. Um, only yes, two of them have a negative Rotten Tomatoes score. And those are, of course, extremely loud and incredibly close. The Tom Hanks September 11th movie. <laughs> I don't even remember. I never saw it. Um, and they were this year's uh, Don't Look Up is the only other example within Living Room. I've yeah, Jen is wincing. Jen is physically wincing. Don't look it up. Yet. <laughs> But just don't look at it at all is basically my advice. <laughs> but yeah, like the movie was kind of warmly received at the time. And I guess this is why it's really good to have both of you on, which is the idea that like one of the things that perhaps changed its reception was that it had the misfortune to be released the same awards season as Goodfellas. So you had like in the best picture race, you had two epic sweeping mob movies starring Catherine Scorsese. It's a very specific like genre in which to operate. And you had. <laughs> That's why I'm here. <laughs> it's not about Sophia. It's about Catherine. When I watched it, I'd forgotten. Uh, it actually jarred me completely. Uh, I was not expecting it because I haven't seen the film since ah oh, ninety something. Uh, so I'd completely forgotten she was in it. It's like actually seeing your own mother when she came on the <laughs> yeah, screen. I was like, Catherine. <laughs> But it's like, like she's too big of a film star to yeah. put it in a movie because yeah, 
It's like seeing Clooney in the Thin Red yeah. Line. It kind of draws you out. It's like, I, I don't <laughs> believe the reality of this movie you, anymore. Yeah. Now it's just a Catherine yeah. Scorsese vehicle. And I guess actually this is this is a question to ask then, because Jay, you said you saw this back in the 90s. Do you I re- did, because I'm old. <laughs> do you remember your initial reaction to it? What did you heard going in? And what did you think coming out? <sighs> so was Darren, by the way. Happy birthday. I, I didn't see it in the cinema because I, I, I was a little too young. Um, I think, I don't know what the rating was at the time, but I definitely didn't see it in the commitment cinema. I saw it a couple of years later. Uh, so it would have been 92, 93 or whatever it would have been. I, would have, I remember VHSs got released two years after the American release or wherever it was in the 90s. Um, I saw it. I don't remember much of the film, but I remember quite liking it. Um, and because I was, you know, an 18-year-old boy programmed to, you know, diss everything that isn't The Godfather Part 1 and 2... I, I probably dismissed it to a certain degree as okay but disposable to a certain point and then probably forgot about it for 25 years. Until you got um, a text message. With occasional reminders when Sofia Coppola released the film uh, that, oh yeah, she was in that. I remember that. And then kind of promptly forgot about it again and then then COVID came along and gave Francis Ford Coppola too much time. Uh, here we are because that, that's the thing like Jen wanted to talk about this movie to talk maybe a little bit about Sophia and we'll do that in a second because I think that like we maybe talk about that in the spoiler zone because it's very much tied up in I think what the movie's about and how it's about it and obviously all the, all the stuff around that but Jay when I mentioned this to you I think one thing that kind of jumped out to you that would be that you thought would be interesting to talk about would be this idea of director's cuts yes and this idea of going back and editing your past work because Kala has you know Arguably, he's always been uh, this kind of scissor hands type figure. He has. Like, we've covered The Godfather Part 1, The Godfather Part 2. Those were edited for television uh, when he was making Apocalypse Now because he needed money. He's released three cuts of Apocalypse Now. He's re-released, like, cuts of... I don't know if he's done one from the heart, but he definitely did The Cotton Club, for example. He has done one for the heart, I think. Or he's certainly got a spanking new release. I don't know if he rejigged it now, but... uh, Is it that he actually wants to do it, or, or is it just a money thing? No. That's what I was wondering. That's what I want to ask. But Jay, I think he's a meddler. Um, I like he brought. He famously brought a kind of incomplete cut of Apocalypse Now to Cannes, kind of just an assembly cut. Says I'm, I'm screening this because I'm Francois Coppola and you can't stop me. And he couldn't at the game of Pandora. Um, he tends to just about in the edit constantly uh, in a la Ridley Scott except with probably better results of it. I like the probably given what we, given we see, know how you see, feel he, about Ridley Scott the probably I, is the... I, I think he's a, but he's a bit more objective I think in his films I think he, he knows that he's made films that are quote unquote failures even if not necessarily artistic endeavours as he considers them failures but he, he's aware that he didn't quite maybe hit the point where he wanted to hit and they were made for various mm-hmm. reasons be it financial or he couldn't get another film off the ground or whatever so I think, I think money never really interests him, or doesn't seem to interest him. He, like he's had it, he's lost it, he's had it, he's lost it, and he has it in abundance again because wine people like wine, and I imagine in COVID that probably <laughs> helped. Hence why he's what? you know financing his new sci-fi film for eighty million out of his own pocket. So he's a madman, uh, and I think that kind of plays into his kind of way of looking at it. And I think the interesting thing about this is that it's five minutes yeah. shorter than the theatrical cut, which if you're going to be do a director's cut, I, I'd, I'd like to see less of it <laughs> than uh, more of it. I'm not a big fan of, like the plantation scene sequence in the Apocalypse Now should never see the light of day, except for maybe an extra on a DVD or a Blu-ray or whatever. Like it's not, it doesn't help the film in any way, shape or form. But, you know. 
then be released. He's never going to start anyway. So while we're on the topic of director's cuts, because I know this is something that's very passionate and important to you, and you mentioned, I think, well, you will talk about it at some point in the future. Rocky Four, the director's cut. Have you seen it? And do you have a take? Yes, I have seen it. Um, I went to see it in the cinema because I'm a Rocky stan, an absolute nerd. Um, I went after a few drinks because that's the only way you should ever watch. Rocky <laughs> it's like seventy five percent montage. It's a, like it's a, it, it. I said before, it's my it's both the worst Rocky film and my favorite Rocky film, which is a bizarre kind of a mix. But I love it, uh, and the, the director's cut doesn't really add anything. It takes away the weird robot sex thing with Polly, and um, <laughs> what. Just like, it's just odd. It's just really odd. No, no, the eight. Well, you know, the happy birthday, Polly, creepy robot eye creeping in on top of him. It's amazing. Like eighties uh, movies loved robot butlers, didn't they? Yes. They, yeah, they did. Um, the eighties had a lot I of that think, kind of uh, stuff. Going. Wall Street and, had one. There's a. There's. Yeah, I mean. Short Circuit was in its yeah. it's, a, it's a trendsetter. Uh, that, then, show, you know. that show Black uh, yeah. Monday has a robot butler yes. and the he, he the 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 Yakuza like end up killing his robot butler as 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 a mess. Like if I win the Eurobillions on Friday, I'm getting a robot butler. I mean I'm just gonna say that you know, like I'll have a robot butler yeah, by next year. Who's that guy who makes slushies? Mr. Freeze? Mr. Yeah, he makes it for everyone. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh, the guy who caused like widespread diarrhea over children across Ireland in the 1980s. Oh, <laughs> that, guy? <laughs> that guy, yeah, yeah. Um, but Jen, what about yourself in terms of your your first watching of, of Godfather Part Three and your kind of what you heard going in and what you thought coming out? Well, growing up, um, really, that how I learned about Three was because of the gossip um, and because of. It went through because me and my sister were very big uh, fans of movie magazines. Like um, when I was like very young, like we'd always have them in the house, like Premier Magazine or Entertainment Weekly. And you'd get them in Easton's for like a fortune, like and we'd save up and get them. And we'd also get stuff like TV hits and big magazine. And because like at that time, I was a Winona Ryder obsessive, as in like me and my older sister shared a room. She was four years older than me and her half of the room, it'd be all Christian Slater and Keanu Reeves. And my half was like Johnny Depp, Saws and River Phoenix. And then I would have pictures of Winona Ryder as well around the place. And Winona at that time, um, she was coming off doing Mermaids and Mermaids was such a a massive deal to me. I remember like wanting to get my hair cut like that and bringing a picture of Winona Ryder to my hair, <laughs> my mom's hairdressers and thinking that Winona Ryder had invented the bob. It was very strange. <laughs> but um, so I knew from reading those magazines that she had dropped out of doing Godfather 3 and this was like this massive deal, but I didn't understand why it was so important and why people were losing over it as a child obviously and then when I got older my oldest sister would have been like a fan of you know the part one and two like she would always talk about like how amazing Al Pacino was in two but I never had an interest in The Godfather like growing up because I thought it was just too austere it was too male um, I would put it alongside Scarface. It's a very masculine touchstone. Um, and a lot of guys at parties would want to just be very boring and talk about it. And I just wasn't interested in that. It just didn't have any women for me. It didn't have any humor. 
Um, it was kind of the study of masculinity that I probably wasn't very enamored with. And then, you know, when I eventually did watch the first one and it was late to the game, like I was in my because like I spent my 20s like being a very like a refused Nick going, I'm not going to watch this. Why should I watch it? You know, like, what do you know? And then when I got around to watching it, I was just like, oh, my God, Michael's entirely silent wife, except for like she's mad about the momos like Michael I want to drive the momos that's like about all she does Where's like, the other dog the and, other like, I was just like <laughs> what the hell is this like and then just you know poor Talia Shire like as she gets better as it goes on but in one she's just running around screaming all the time getting the crap kicked out of her so I was very much I, I mean as I grew older I grew to love it the more I watched it and I, I loved too obviously but um, when I went to watch three for the first time it was really just for Sophia, just because I was like, do you know what? I This cannot be as bad. It has to be tied to nepotism and misogyny, why people didn't like her in it. And turns out I was dead right. <laughs> um, I mean, worth kind of acknowledging uh, in terms of just a bit of production context for The Godfather Part 3. Because uh, as we mentioned, like one of the things that people get really cynical about the movie is, oh, Coppola just made it for money. And as we talked about, like the previous two Godfather movies, he made the previous two Godfather movies for money as well. Like he didn't want to make the first Godfather movie. Uh, he just had to make it because he needed cash. And then the second one was they gave him a blank check and they let him make movies he wanted to make. So he was like, fine, I will make a sequel. And obviously, you know, during the 80s, we mentioned like things like One for the Heart, like those massive flops ended up like bankrupting uh, Zotrope Studios again. So he ended up having to go to Paramount and say, I'm $8 million in debt. And they're like, we'll give you $6 million and 20% off the back end if you agree to come in and make The Godfather Part 3. And they obviously they go through a number of iterations of scripts. Some of the scripts are insane. We'll include some of the links in our show notes. Things like Michael Corleone being involved in CIA operations in Havana, that sort of stuff. Central America. What is America. that insane? What? Why is that insane? Because I'm kind of imagining an 80s version of that that doesn't look like Predator. Starring well, it feels kind of grounded, no? Michael, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Predator, uh, predator uh, handshake. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and like and again, it's it's worth noting what's what's really interesting about the Godfather Part Three is that like it emerges at a time like we talked about this uh, when we talked about like the Indiana Jones: The Last Crusade, which came out the previous year. Like 1989 was like the big year for movie studio franchises, where studios really realized that they could just release sequels to things that people already recognized and make a shed load of money off the back of. And you know, we, The Godfather Part Two was a large part of reconfiguring sequels. Can and- I can I ask you? Sorry, just to go back to what you were saying, um, or maybe you prefer to go into it later on. But do you do you think those? Um, kind of nascent um, uh, versions of the script were any crazier than what happens in this one? Yeah, I mean, I mean, the, the, this, it is a bit, a bit out there. I, I think it makes, uh, it makes perfect sense. But is, is, is it any, is it any crazier than you know? Without getting too spoiler, the fact that this involves the Vatican and like real life conspiracy theories about what well, happened. Uh, to somebody a has read, 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 read some work on this. I, I'm dying to get into the panel so i'll be with you and the other side of this what's it called jay has taken out a board and some red twine is it the valachi papers is that what it's um... the valachi papers were i think the first one weren't they it's the the vatican thing that you're thinking of um they are based on a book that was with no uh research done on it whatsoever apologies i'm actually because andrew and i are in bed i'm using a hand i've read the book or read a book on it if we you want to get it's it called uh, In God's Name an Investigation into David Yallop. Yep, David Yallop. Yep. I've read this. I have it on my have you read it? upstairs. It's Yes, I have, yeah. Okay. Read it about 
10, 15 years ago. It's great because you should have said you read it for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, it's interesting because when I read it, which was probably about 15, 20 years ago, uh, when I bought it, chapters are coming back. God bless you. Uh, I thought, God, this man's insane. And then, like, the more and more you read about the Catholic Church, I'm like, you know what? They probably killed the Pope. I could see that. I mean, it, it, like, I could see it easily that they killed the Pope. I'm certain the Catholic Church, and you could edit out one, have assassinated and killed people all over the place for the last 50 years. Oh, yeah. Allegedly. Not surprising me in the slightest. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think you could get away with non-allegedly. Not, not right? allegedly, yeah. Uh, like they they, they um, had a part in like encouraging the Rwandan genocide. Um, oh, they had a part in a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, but the book's well worth reading, even if you don't believe it. It's a it rollicks along and about the finances and the kind of corruption that Italy is the corruption capital of the world. It's incredible read. Uh, I'll loan it somebody if anybody wants it. I have it on the bookshelf somewhere. It's great. That's in God's name by David Yellop. In, David Yellop, yeah. Case listeners I never give read. books back. So <laughs> don't ever lend That's me That's why I, like, I haven't even looked at it. Like, <laughs> you should, you shouldn't read it, so. book. Isn't that the expression? Um, I shouldn't borrow a book. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Don't worry, I have a list of people I've loaned books to that never gave oh, yeah, you, you, you know, just retribution, the Sicilian never forgets, etc. etc. Like uh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice. <laughs> yes, yes. But like, okay, so the idea is that like in the in the late eighties after a book the, with a bomb inside. <laughs> <laughs> That's the second book. Yeah. While Jay is standing in a church asking, Does he reject Satan? Um <laughs> But um, and there, I bet they're kind of like ironic books, like To Kill a Mockingbird or something like that, or License to Kill. It has to have some sort of like thing in the title. But anyway, um, but yes, so you know, in in the late eighties, you had the studios. novelization of License to Kill. <laughs> <laughs> That's true because it was based no. on a short story yeah. rather than a, yes. this. Welcome to the License to Kill podcast. Sorry, I'm very much in my 1989 mode apparently right now. Um, but yes, yeah, so you know, 1989 studios had realized that they could go and they could like franchise all this stuff, and you had this whole summer of existing intellectual properties, sequels like movies like Ghostbusters 2, for example, the third Indiana Jones movies, the Batman adaptation, Lethal Weapon 2. I think Die Hard. Came a lot out, of maybe. those movies as well have a worse reputation than maybe they deserve things kind of like become a punchline and then it's like impossible to like them <laughs> it's like are you it's stupid the peer pressure. i think, yeah. I think uh, ghostbusters 2 has a reputation it deserves <laughs> yeah I'm, 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 what i what i what i mean is that people have it's, it's like genuine the second affection. worst ghostbusters movie sorry <laughs> for for that movie and that it kind of has its moments but that you can't enjoy something if it's kind of um well I suppose we can, of course we can. But there yeah. <laughs> you can enjoy yeah. anything you want. Exactly. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Not to set <laughs> the tone for the space. podcast that we're going to have discussing the Godfather <laughs> Part Three. But yeah, no. I, I mean like that but the thing is, yeah, so basically the, the, you have this glurge Just of sequels. Like Robocop two, Robocop three. <laughs> Obligatory Robocop. You will believe Robocop from flying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, but like, and I do love that with Robocop 2, they went the route of hiring the guy who directed like Empire Strikes Back, which is we are making a sequel. We're committing to doing a sequel. But so you had this idea of like studios going, well, what's, yeah. Yeah, what's in the crate? What can we go and what can we license? And I love that like Paramount, like the mountain, the studio of the 70s, home to all these great auteurs, literally digs through the toy chest and they find like, okay, let's make a sequel to Chinatown. People are really aching to see Chinatown 2, The Two Jakes. Um, the only problem is obviously the director is a sex offender and cannot come back to the United States. So we'll just hire Jack Nicholson to direct. And that was like it's, Paramount's it's big... It's not terrible, The Two Jakes. 
like it, it's a, they got they had uh, yeah Nicholson it was supposed to be um what's the name the writer that wrote it uh, Robert Downey was supposed to direct it I think and kind of collapsed and then Nicholson took over he shouldn't have because he can't really direct but it's because has Harvey Keitel in it and I think Harvey Keitel in it's always worth something worth a look at least he, you know because he's Harvey but yeah I'm not going to bat for it strongly but I, you know it's not there's worse sequels out there Ghostbusters 2 Harvey to direct it he's the what it's true he was too busy making a direct line commercial unfortunately he was a fairness but like I I love the idea that like Paramount's like how can we make like how can we get in on the sequel game that includes like Die Hard 2 Lethal Weapon 2 uh, the third Indiana Jones movie let's make a third Godfather movie let's make a movie to the two movies that won like the best picture Oscar earned more than 800 million dollars worldwide are regarded as classic as cinema and let's see if we can kind of cash in on that and I think actually this is again interesting in terms of what like what Andrew said in terms of his reputation because like you could make an argument that like Hollywood really pushed those like that splurge of sequels in the late 80s early 90s and audiences and critics and the market said no largely like arguably the only two big successful movie sequels of that era are like Lethal Weapon 2 and Die Hard 2, which were the only ones to make more money than the original. But on the other hand, you had movies like Rocky Five flopped. Back to the Future ma- didn't do well. Uh, well, Back to the Future, the, there was a massive drop-off. Um, there was a massive drop-off. For the third the one, especially. The third one especially had a huge drop-off. Yeah. Um, I mean, the audiences just weren't ready. Um, but you had like you had like movies like, say, uh, Three Men, A Little Lady, Look Who's Talking 2, Predator 2, Another 48 Hours. All those failed to make as much money as the originals. Honestly, I will always go to bat for Three Men and a Little Lady. Better than Baby. That's Ooh. my line. Okay. Better than Baby. I'll go to the bat for Predator 2 as well, sadly. Uh, Isn't this is why we're born to do this podcast, Jerry. Right? <laughs> Isn't this episode is ours. <laughs> Isn't it generally the idea to like make a worse, cheaper movie? And make less money as well. No, it was. Right. That's the thing. Godfather 2 changed that. Like, that's the thing is that up until like 1974 when Godfather 2 comes out and then really 1980 when The Empire Strikes Back, the original plan was that sequels would be cheaper and you just keep churning them out until they stop making money. So like you have the budget on each of the Planet of the Apes. That's why when you get to Escape from Planet of the Apes, it's just like, uh, is it Roddy McDowell wandering around modern day Los Angeles in a like slightly unconvincing ape mask? Because like we can no longer afford to send you to the desert and hire Charlton Heston to stand in a loincloth. Um, like it was very much like diminishing returns but yeah. then in the 80s it was the idea again very much appropriate for the era of cocaine and shoulder pads it was like can we make these things bigger and keep expanding them and it's kind of interesting that like that wave in the late 80s like audiences critics and and kind of like the box office all said no and so you end up with this era in the 90s where you do have these blockbusters that are largely like they are you know they're not entirely original you get like enemy of the state is basically the conversation but tony scott uh which i think we can all get behind uh, yes just before you any negative word is said there darren i love i love the i love enemy of the state i know it's good i just you know i won't have anything bad against our, our lord and savior tony scott <laughs> But like it, it's kind of interesting that we now live in the age where no, we're we're living in an age where we're now making mini series about the making of the Godfather because we are that eager to recycle the intellectual property. Um, it, it turns out as an offer Paramount can't refuse. Um, all right then. So before we jump into discussing the Godfather in a bit more depth, three questions to kind of get us ready for the spoiler zone. So, uh, Jay, do you think that either the and you can answer for both or either the Godfather Part Three, the Godfather Coda? Do you think that they belong on a list 
of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Well, there are two things here. One, I only watched Coda uh, because I wasn't watching both. You must be joking. Uh, I had got that time. But, so we'll say it for Coda, but I think you can answer for both because they're essentially the same film for all intents and purposes, bar a few kind of uh, bits. Um, the answer is no, regardless. I, and I, I do like it. Like, I, I enjoyed it and I enjoyed watching it. I think it's a very solid film and there's some really great stuff in there. But I think the issues it has are issues in the sense of like there there are issues that can't really be avoided and I don't think any edit is going to save them to some degree but it, I still maintain it's a very very solid film it's it, it's as good a Godfather film sequel slash code or whatever you want to call it that could possibly be made in 1990 by the same director that made the two of them in the early 70s I would say install in there for me yeah okay yeah cool. same that i i think i think jay's reception was dropping away but good news is that he's probably recording it yeah locally. so if he's still talking we can edit edit that in um sorry did i get kicked out uh, no no well you're back now you froze you're stalled you stalled you said something very profound. i'm in there i did speak and, I, and it was very profound and oh, just no. missed an no but it, it's good it i think as i said it's the one that it's as good a godfather film as you could get 17 years later with the same director uh you could we couldn't really reasonably expect any better i wouldn't have thought <laughs> or, like it's better it's better than that's any right to be i love the, the expectations that you're setting here like okay you know third films and trilogies are generally not great the dark knight rises is a masterpiece um, <laughs> i i repeat my previous thing really <laughs> loves that yeah um but jen what about yourself I don't mind it, to be honest. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. No, you're fine. I am kind of in the same boat in the way of... I just don't know if it... I think as a pop culture oddity, I want... Not oddity, but a, a pop culture moment. I want to kind of save it for that. Like, it, there's a lot of interesting themes that come out because of it. But, like, a film on its own merits as a film, No. I don't know. I just think it's 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 a touch to for all its merits and there is and I will say I will discuss those. <laughs> it is possibly like a touch too mediocre. Um and that's a nice way of saying it. That has problems. It's a gentle way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and like can can we ask like Jay and, and Jen in terms of watching like Obviously, Jay, you, you watched Godfather Part 3 in the 90s and you watched Coda recently. Jen, I don't know uh, whether you watched Godfather Part 3 more recently or if you just watched Coda. But do you guys have a sense of the difference between the two? And does it feel like Coda is an improvement? Or does it feel like... I guess this is, yeah, this is, this is something that Jen kind of mentioned. But is it... Do we feel like the movie has changed? Or do we feel that we've changed or our relationship to it has changed? And it's just an excuse to reevaluate a movie that was always the way that it was? Um, I mean, I think the ending for me, I liked the, the new ending, spoiler, I'm like, I want to until the spoiler's done, but like, I liked the new ending better, I have to say. But like, other than that, like, plot wise, like instead, like, I, I guess removing parts of Eli Wallach's part in it. Exposition. <laughs> there's not that much of a difference. And like, there's a new intro, but like, I think it's ripe for reassessment because we live in a different cultural world and live in a different critical world and I noticed that like 
I mean, I wouldn't be, me and Richard Brody from The New Yorker, I have a problem with him sometimes because, well, recently I have a problem with him. He doesn't know that, but we're in a fight over his <laughs> review of the worst person in the world because I, I just couldn't disagree more with what he was saying. Um, I could disagree with it. I mean, I know a little bit I agreed with, but a lot of it I was very... Very Jen sitting there happy. typing, you, sir, are the worst person in the world. <laughs> Looking on yourself. Uh, turn that around. But uh, no, I know that he was saying that we're in a much kind of kinder critical world, um, which I don't know if he was saying, oh, you know, these days these are all a load of woke, you know, snowflakes and you're going to try and find the good in this terrible film. But I actually think he was kind of more fair about it than a lot of critics have been. Um, but he did say that we're in a new cultural critical era and that, of course, three will find its audience. And I think that's something to take into account. I definitely think that, like, you know, it, it, the press... Um, and like public, um, we're a lot harsher on it than I think uh, it act- they needed to be. Yeah. I mean, like we should mention, like to give Brody his day in court, the headline I think on that piece is Godfather 3 is revealed as the masterpiece it always was. So I think, yeah. I think, I think it's a good piece in fairness. I did read it. I, I Similar to that, I think I agree with Brody as much as I disagree with him, but I think he's a very good writer and he's mostly fair. Until he disagrees with me. <laughs> Until but, you uh, see the worst person in the world and then you read that review again and you're like, hang on I a haven't sec. actually seen it yet, yeah. would you believe? <laughs> but uh, the, the thing, I think there's two things here. I think Joe Griffin made a very astute point a few months ago on Twitter that every film, if you give it long enough, will get a reassessment at a thing. And I think, I think <laughs> in the Twitter sphere particularly, I think that's absolutely true. Particularly with the amount of film roles churning on about any old shit. Well, we have people Myself included occasionally, I might add. People um, replying to like, our you know, Batman and Robin episode accusing us of trying to rehabilitate that movie. Well, you've been doing that for a while, Darren, in fairness. Yeah. But, uh, and you, you've been banging the drum for Batman and Robin it's for because months, you hate years, Batman Darren. forever. Free the nipple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think the other thing about it is, as well, there's a, and Brody kind of hints at this on that piece, that in the era where this came out, and as somebody that remembers it, everything was shot on 35 mil, everything was released looking prettier than they do now. There's a nostalgia for stately... Uh, well-budgeted, well-crafted films. And I mean crafted, not necessarily in the sense of studios trumping and everything. I mean, the people working on the films, craftsmen. craftsmen across the board, are not fixing post-type stir. You have to be creative on the set. You have to be creative and thing. And Brody mentions Dracula there as well, because he does this straight after it, where you're into the last vestiges of kind of the optical effects and in-camera effects and skill sets that craftsmen had going back half a century, probably that we're still working on films. And I think there's a massive nostalgia for that now in a world of flattened Netflix drone documentaries and s- such things. And I think that's that, that that plays its part in how films like this and will, are perceived now and will continue to be perceived, I think. So in two years' time, you'll get films from 1994. God, it's going to be Pulp Fiction. I'm going to have to list a year of Pulp Fiction. Good Jesus. I did see that in the cinema. Get me back with that if you haven't done it. Um, <laughs> if I'm still alive, if the world is still going. But we're going to have that exact kind of thing where people will talk about, the, you know, people know how to film, people know how to light things, people know how the sound works and so on and so on and so on. So I think that plays a huge part. Now. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned that as well. Like, that's the thing that I think, like, again, I think Brody makes the point. I think Owen Gleiberman at Variety gave it, like, a positive glowing review on initial release. and used, Oh, he wasn't short about that number oh, oh, either. He, he used Coda very much as a victory lap. I was right. Yeah, he did, yeah. He and, did. like, we should give it just a sense in terms of its rehabilitation. Like, the original Godfather Part 3 cut has a 67% uh, score on Rotten Tomatoes with 61 
critics and a 60 score on Metacritic with 19, whereas Coda jumps like dramatically up to 86 to an A grade uh, with 59 critics on Rotten Tomatoes and up to 76, which is a very sizable gain on, on Metacritic. So like the assessment- People like Coppola though, because he's a, he's a fiver, you know, <laughs> they, there's a warm to this, which it, which is not wrong. Like I, I, I can admire it in that regard. Like Coppola's still knocking about throwing money at things, tilting at windmills. Like there's, it's an admirable thing, like still in this day and age. And that, that's- that's the thing I think that Andrew kind of alluded to that I have a soft spot for, where I am perhaps more forgiving of director's cuts than you are, Jay. In that, like, I think Coppola's... I think everybody's more forgiving, more forgiving of director's cuts than I am, to be honest. I am very forgiving in general. But, like, yeah. the idea that, like, Coppola does all this to allow him to earn money to do stuff that he wants to do. Like, Megopolis is possibly going to be terrible. But it's like he's throwing every single thing that he has at it. And he's gathering up all his money and pumping in his money into it because he wants to make it. And it's like, I look at things like the the recutting of Godfather and Godfather Part 2 in a way that like butchers the narrative weight of Godfather Part 2. But doing that because he needs the money to complete Apocalypse Now because Apocalypse Now is the most important thing to him. He's talked about how like he doesn't like talking about old movies because he treats their ex-wives. He wants to move on and do the next thing. And so it's like, I kind of have to imagine that like the big Coppola editing splurge of the pandemic was just like, I need to throw it on the pile so when it's out, I can make my Oscar Isaac uh, sci-fi movie. And it's like, I kind of, however that movie turns out, I kind of admire that Coppola is like, yeah, I'm going to take another spin of the wheel. Netflix aren't going to give me the money they give Marty. Uh, you know, I'm never going to get to make a movie with Disney or Warners. Why not do that? I mean, but like, if yeah. they just like let Sophia's wine be imported here, <laughs> I would give him all the money. I try my best. It, it's only available to like order through the UK and I've had it. I've had a lot of it and I love it. But if they made it easier to get the couple of wines here in Ireland, this is my plea. Francis, I've help never, me I've out. I've never tasted a couple of wine. Oh, outstanding <laughs> outstanding like the I'm Blanc de Blanc suspicious. the Sofia Coppola Blanc de Blanc is absolutely really? gorgeous yeah, no, I, am, I am literally going on the internet to buy a bottle tonight <laughs> I, that's how invested in this kind of thing I can get oh me too my favourite one of my favourite hobbies is celebrity drinks I like to <laughs> rate all the celebrity drinks how, how so, does this like, yeah, please do yeah. a podcast on that will you it'd be much more interesting than yeah, film well, podcast no offence no, 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 but no, like, we, I, I want to live the celebrity drinks podcast can you give us a top five off the top of your head like just um, Angelina Jolie now, now it's gone because she sold her actual stakes in Miravel and that would be my top top celebrity wine celebrity drink full stop I think it's absolutely gorgeous so nice that wow. vineyard she should have never let it go I refuse to say it's Brad Pitt investment because she was the one because it was for, like about her mother it's near where her mother lives in France so she was more into it than uh, him and then obviously the Sophia Coppola the Blanc de Blanc is a phenomenal wine it's definitely. amazing information to me yeah and then the George Clooney tequila is amazing uh, is it? yeah really good but uh, it's far too expensive like I do far like a tequila you get oh, it wow. in um, the States but like you get it like he, a bottle that costs something like 70 quid or something to order they're always drinking it on Housewives um, in the Real Housewives <laughs> of Beverly Hills they're always drinking it there but uh, that's like top three I'm trying to think I'll get back Dan to the Ackroyd's. other two but they're the top three. That's for the recommendations. <laughs> yes, it's um, incredible. Yeah, well, that, no, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't want to talk. Like, I, I want to talk about Godfather Part Three, but I feel like this is more important. Um, <laughs> is it? Does is does Dan Aykroyd have a? Is there a vodka? There is, but Ryan Reynolds has like a oh. gin. Um, yeah. I like 
I wouldn't be bothered with that, to be honest with you. I just feel like that's something that you're putting your name to rather than getting properly invested in. Also, so I think I don't know what the Dan Aykroyd story is, though. Isn't the quality of the actor slash person? Measurable exactly. to the drink, so you Ryan Reynolds right. probably be a good drink, is he? Like exactly. Ryan Reynolds, like yeah. I mean, I flat, trust yeah. George Clooney because you know he's drank a few. I could, I'm, yes. like, I'm on yes. board with George Clooney being a drinker. Me too. And Jodie is not going to shortchange it. No, like all class all the way. Which I was so I was more distressed about her selling her shares and that than the actual divorce. I think I was like, no, <laughs> where will the winery live? Um, that is the question. We're we're, yeah. we're guessing then that Ron to Jeremy. Is, is probably terrible then because he, he's seemingly not a good guy. Um, or sorry, hey, Roger, he hasn't got a drink, un- has he? Understating it. No, he's got a rum. I would not drink he's anything got... from rum, Jeremy's no, house. exactly. Or uh, building or business. Or that he offered for, you, yes. Other than being a creep, like, but aside from that. He makes it just... in his tub where other things happen. No, stop, stop. No, <laughs> um, never. No, don't stop the the stream. Are you serious, Andrew? Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's it's been a fact. I'll stop, no. I don't want to think about this anymore. <laughs> but, stop this. I'm about to say, has he got sex? All right, so. Okay, where were we before we got down this ridiculous? All I was yeah, saying is if that's if that's how Francis Ford Coppola can make more money if he wants to, yeah. if that's what he wants yeah. to do. I definitely check out that Blanc de Blanc because <laughs> people don't like Chardonnay. But uh, oh anyway, my God, what? You should get like the guy who starred in like Dune and Little Women to release Timothy Chardonnay. Yes. Yeah, okay, sorry. That's anyway. Never mind. That's a billion dollar idea. Uh, forget I mentioned it. That's the point. <laughs> I'm writing but, it down. Uh, no. But uh, all right. So yeah, and in, in terms of like the Godfather Part Three, it's also notable that like the movies, as as kind of Jen mentioned, the movie's production was very troubled, very rushed. You had the situation with Winona Ryder where she dropped out the last minute, and kind of Sophia Coppola had to come on, and we'll maybe talk about that in a, in a moment. But this movie was kind of interesting where apparently Coppola was literally editing it down to the last second before it was released. It was really meant to be released uh, in November for Thanksgiving. It was supposed to be a big Thanksgiving family blockbuster movie. And they eventually pushed it back to Christmas. And by all accounts, they literally had to rip the, the kind of film out of his hands, uh, the post-production process. And we'll maybe talk about that when we get into the spoiler zone, because there's a lot of like even in Coda. There's some really strange editing choices where you can tell that he hasn't figured out how to sequence the scenes and there's no continuity within them with characters are like holding objects that don't exist until they're introduced two or three minutes later, which is kind of fascinating to watch as an editor. So it's kind of interesting to see him go back and do that. But Andrew, do you think The Godfather Part 3 or The Godfather Code of the Death of Michael Corleone belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Uh, no, no, but it, it's worth uh, discussing um, along with the other movies in the trilogy. I think it's a worthy but kind of um, flawed kind of accomplishment. It 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 is it does. Um, I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's a bad movie. Um, I th- I think it just kind of suffers a bit in comparison. Yeah. I, I mean a lot in comparison, <laughs> and it has. Um, uh, problems yeah. where you, you can probably even if you don't like Godfather or Godfather Part 2 you have to ad- ad- admire it and kind of accept its greatness I guess or, or it insists speaking. upon itself yeah 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 whereas, whereas this you can um, because it's standing next to those two giants it's, uh, it's um, it has a hard time which is undeserved um, yeah no, and for myself I would probably agree with that assessment 
I always kind of had a soft spot for Godfather Part 3, uh, in large part just because I always kind of saw it as the lesser of the three, the little runt of the litter, the kind of, again, like a, like a postscript as opposed to an actual movie, which is a very dismissive way of talking about it. But I felt really vindicated when Coppola was like, yeah, it's not actually a movie. It's more of an epilogue. It's, it's really just I, I, a I think that's a cop-out. Francis Ford cop-out, if you will. Uh... Oh, well played. I like and I've seen critics kind of reach of it as well. Like and I get where they're coming from, but yeah, still making a third film of a bloody trilogy. Like it's still a trilogy, so you you know we can all put codes on the end things. It does make sense compared compared to these other two films. Yeah, but, you know, I'd like to do that with stuff I've knocked out. That's terrible. Like you know, what I mean? <laughs> just I oh, yeah, no, it's not really that thing. I just did that for whatever. Like oh yeah, thanks Francis. Jay's you know. Gin Coda. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, what's his name? Trevor Phillips. Um... <laughs> The Hangover Part Three. Oh, that. Todd Phillips. Yeah, Todd Phillips. Sorry, um, I beg <laughs> your pardon. Yeah. I, I like that you imply yeah. that like the God, the Hangover Part Two is comparable to the Godfather Part Two, <laughs> and it was like actually like the Hangover Part Three was where things really got off the rails. I even like the first Hangover. Uh, I imagine anyway. it has aged in interesting ways, but yes, we're probably going to so, wonder. Yeah. But, yeah, we wonder. Andrew and I should we should really make a point to do something about that. Maybe we'll figure it out. Anyway. Um, but yes, so for myself, no, it does not belong uh, on a list. I do have a soft spot for it. And I do wonder how much of its reassessment kind of comes from, well, first of all, what Jay said there and what Richard Brody said. I'm going to credit it to Jay, though, because Jay's actually I would. Uh, uh, Yeah. But the argument that like in 1990, when you stick this next to Goodfellas, it looks old and staid and out, you know, outdated and looks embarrassing. It's like your grandpa on the dance floor at a wedding, which is like, you know, if you're into it and affectionate, it's cute, but it's also... A little cringeworthy. Also, the Godfather <laughs> loves like grandpas on the dance floor. The Godfather's yeah, obsessed yeah. with grandpas on the dance floor. That's its main, you know, Draw. jig. It <laughs> loves it. Like, um, but yeah. So like you have you have that kind of going on there. But like I mean, I I do think that yeah, as we get further from it, it becomes more classical. The distance between it and the originals kind of condenses. Where obviously it's smaller. It's it's less distance between two and three now than there was between three and Coda. Uh, which is interesting as well, and kind of forgives all all kind of distance there. And I do wonder how much of the reevaluation of it is down to that branding exercise. Like we'll talk maybe about some of the more specific changes in the spoiler zone, but arguably the biggest change that Coppola made is what Jay said, which is the removal of the part three and the putting of the coda on it, and how that invites you as a viewer to go, well, he's not actually reaching for greatness. He's not actually trying to say this is equal to the two films that came before yeah, yeah, and yeah. so are you more likely to give it kind of a pass and he i'm like an intro as well which oh, he, that he, it's kind of like, and you can't skip with sum, like summing up you can if you part it. <laughs> <laughs> i can right. assure you it doesn't exist on that <laughs> jay's doing everything he can to sabotage this is why turnton is great because you know it used to be the old days you know don't if you parted this film you'll get blah blah and it was like you can't fast forward that on an actual video, but if you parted it, that wouldn't exist because you stripped it out. Like, because they were so much better than the official release. Good Jesus. Because also, if you got the official release, you weren't parting it because you've already rented it. Anyway, go on. That's that's an aside. I, I, I do love that for you, the best part of pirating is that you don't have an anti-piracy PSA You wouldn't in front of steal a car, etc., etc. You, you wouldn't steal a bear. If it was easy bear. to download a film, I would you have a rake on the cars brother, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I, would have, I would have a warehouse full of cars it was as easy to uh, as turn to the film bear. I can assure you that yeah. you wouldn't um, pirate a bear you wouldn't download a bear yes. you wouldn't download <laughs> a bear I do yeah. love how memey that's become it's actually good fun um, um, 
but yeah so the, so my answer is no though. do do we like uh do we like movies or anyway sorry i'm not going to get into a discussion <laughs> I, of pirating i mean like, I, well, yeah i'll, I'll take this it. for free and tell them that they're bad i stole your movie and i, I didn't the like box it set of the um, three films but i, I yeah. wasn't going to watch the third one so i had to get the code I, I, I do love, by the way, like, Jay is adamant that he is not going to make Megopolis happen. He's like, stop trying to make Megopolis I happen. Have, I have yeah. given my money. I've, see, I've seen Godfather Part 2 in the old IFI screen 2 where there was no backing seats and then my neck was in bits for it a week afterwards. So I've, I've paid my dues, man. I have suffered for Coppola's art. Um, by the way, I do love that there's a like a New York Times December 1990 profile of Coppola and like at the bottom, the last line of it is, for the immediate future... That means ma- taking another look at a script called Megopolis about a Catalan conspiracy in ancient Rome, which oh I love. I love God. that he's that he's going to follow the Godfather coda with the movie he wanted to follow Godfather three with. Cut um, to cut to like five years later, he's making Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so you know how that work out for you, Francis. Um, all right then, and, and Jay, would this be on your own personal two fifty? Your own two hundred fifty? Not okay. Uh, no, 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 no. Okay. no. Okay. okay, okay, very, very dramatic there. Jen, I think this might be an interesting answer. Um, maybe I don't know. Like, I I kind of think of it because it if it's my own personal two fifty, maybe just for Sophia reasons discussions. Um, I yeah. I mean, I probably have all Sophia's films on my two fifty anyway. So why not throw in one where she's in it, and I can, you know, fight for her. <laughs> Do a season. Close off the top ten. <laughs> <laughs> Towards the the gauntlet. I was going to say, like, do you do you start with Godfather three as a taster, or do you like follow it? Uh, do you follow it with Coda as like a an, you know a digestive? Mm, I don't know because like the thing is, she was in like she's briefly in Rumblefish and Peggy Sue got married um, and the Godfather and the Godfather as a baby. Like, um, so yeah, I don't know. I'd have to include all of them maybe in the one screening of her. Uh, Maybe her acting Ooh, career. I, I want to see the season. I like. I, yeah. I, I know that's very dismissive of Sofia Coppola as like one of the great American directors, but I want to see the Sofia Coppola like performance acting season. Yeah, I want to see like the sub season that Jen runs. Um, all right then, and fine, Andrew. Would it be on your own personal two fifty, your own two hundred fifty favorite movies? Um, no, but I but I don't dislike it. Um, yeah, the, like there there there's too many kind of things wrong with it. I guess like like the the the, the um, I think casting is a big problem with the uh, yeah. with the movie. I okay, guess. just like in in general, in terms of like the Andy Garcia and things like, is it George Hamilton and stuff like that? Or I'll say I'll say George Hamilton. I think the the obs- the focus and the obsession on Sofia Coppola is unfair. I think personally, watching the movie and the performance in it, I didn't think she was very good. But neither is Anthony. Um, the the sorry, sorry the 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 um, who was who, in, who was an opera singer? Um, I yeah. believe wasn't he? He was he was actually like a musician. He's, he's, like, and and it's apparent that he's an, uh, an Frank actor. D'Ambrosio is the name of the Frank actor D'Ambrosio. Who plays. Yeah, the uh, guy playing Anthony Corleone. He's not very good, but nobody talks about that. Yeah. Um, um, ben, I wonder I, why. I, I think Jen um, uh, is spot on. That it's just it misogyny. Is misogyny. Um, um, because everybody likes to kind of. Um, well, that, that, I think, there's, a, think there's an overt uh, nepotistic thing as well, like that. You can be nepotistic in Hollywood, fine, but if you if you just do it with a front tree, like we just you know just parachute somebody in, people get really annoyed with that for some reason. 
Plus, you know, if it's a woman, like if it's Al Pacino's son in the film, nobody give a But yeah, I think that's fair. And I mean, and yeah, and I, you get a sense the couple is almost kind of playing with that. Like Bridget Fonda is in there in terms of oh, like I love Bridget generation. Fonda. Uh, uh, we, that's we written in my well. notes. It's uh, just I love Bridget Fonda. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, that's I literally written down here as well with two exclamation marks after yeah, her name. Same. The, 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 Five minutes the Bridget Fonda appears in this movie, no notes. But I yeah. think like a, a, ten out of ten, no notes. When, <laughs> yeah. when we get into the performances in the kind of despite his own bit, then I think that's interesting yeah. for various All reasons. Right. All right, and we, we should note by the way that D'Ambroso, like this movie was such a hot ticket that he auditioned under a fake name. They had to like audition they had to keep this secret. It's like, by the way, at the end of the audition, you got the part in the Godfather Part Three, which is kind of absurd to think about when you're talking about the sequel to like one of the great American kind of movies. Um and for myself, no. Uh no, this would not be on my own personal two fifty. I like this movie a lot. I think it's I, I have that thing that, that kind of Jay and, and Richard Brody mentioned and I love that I'm just putting them in the same sentence where it's like I look back and it looks classical. It looks like old Hollywood grandiose filmmaking that you don't really get anymore. Uh, I do think Coda is an improvement in remarkably small and interesting ways. Um, I watched watched two separate movies. I didn't want to watch them both uh, either, but yes, I didn't have time. No, either. I do, I do like that. I was, I was setting up, I was queuing that up. But okay, I did want to watch both, and I didn't necessarily. You did, and well, I bet you did as well. I probably watched, I watched them twice. Them, I watched. I conducted a little experiment where I got two monitors, and I played The Godfather Part Three on one monitor and the godfather coda on the other <laughs> and i would movie. like stop them so they synced up and it was amazing to watch how much of them are exactly the same movie and how like occasionally it seemed like coppola removed three or four frames because like it would occasionally judder and i'd be like wait they're out of sync again what did he do and i had to go back and rewatch and couldn't figure out where he had trimmed the bones of half a that's second zodiac a level <laughs> oh, so that's right. please at least tell me you, you synced them to dark side of the moon or something <laughs> Sink them to shut up in your face over and over again. (laughs) And if you watch them backwards, um, what's the matter with you? It's an audio medium, but there's like dark circles around Darren's eyes. His, um, red strings all over the the, the yeah. wall here mascara running down my face like Robert Pattinson's Batman as I sit in the basement processing the two screens watching Godfather and Godfather Part 2 uh, Sir Godfather 3 and Godfather Coda trying to understand the madness that is Francis Ford Coppola um, but like watching them like like that it's remarkable how little difference there is between the two of them. I felt like I was watching a movie in stereo vision at certain points. Um, the only difference, one of the big differences that I find interesting is that he completely removed the color grading on it. Um, one of the big differences between three and Coda is that like, if you watch three, three has this kind of like old fashioned gold looking, like Godfather one, Godfather two, kind of Gordon Willis look to it. Yeah, I, got, I had to check what Willis had done this cinematography about 10 minutes in. <laughs> on the third one because of the code it's like this looks a lot brighter than I was expecting yeah which I, th- I think is interesting because it does that thing it's like putting Coda at the end instead of part three it's a way of Coppola like neatly shimmying the movie away from the previous two so you're like he's not trying to compete in the same lane so maybe cut him a bit of slack but uh, oh, no <laughs> we we know what you did Francis um but yeah no I I, I really like this movie I, I really like Coda in particular but wouldn't be on my own personal 250 and then finally the big question then jay so if listeners have not seen godfather part three or godfather coda and keeping in mind that godfather coda is the version that has been re-released in cinemas with the first two would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch the movie and based on your 25 year old memory 
which version would you recommend? Oh God, um, I I would recommend it. I think I I, I think most of, I think Brody alluded to this actually. It's like it's not going to change anybody's mind that thought the film was crap initially and kind of will love it now or vice versa. I think I think the most I think weirdly enough I think most of the people who have wanted to see this film have already seen this film in, in terms of the part three. I don't think it's going to win anybody over as such. Like they're going, oh man, this is an amazing film. Like how did I miss this when it came out? Like or whatever. Like, however, I've said all that. I do think it's worth seeing. I think there there's enough in there to see why this kid couple might have had something. You know, like there there's enough even of the old magic in it. It's not quite maybe at the level of kind of his top tier stuff. But now and again, it kind of it kicks in. At certain point, you go right. I can see that. Yeah, that's you know exactly what he's going for here. Even if not necessarily always as good as kind of put together as you'd hoped. But you know, it, yeah, it's worth saying. I, 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 yeah, go on, go do it. And Stop listening to me. Get the hell out of here. And I mean, like, it's worth noting. Like, this came after like a rake of his eighties movies, which you know, as we mentioned, bankrupt him. But we're like massively experimental, like pushing out, trying to expand the art form, as we kind of mentioned in Godfather Part Two. And like, this is a much more traditional, old fashioned movie. And again, as you said, there's a sense that he was kind of dinged for that, where it's like, why are you, you know, you did Rumblefish, you did one from the heart. Why are you trying to do a movie like you made in 1972 anymore? And Coppola's answer is because none of you went to see any of the movies that I made after 1979. That's why I'm trying to do this. So this is really my fault. But is he is he the cardinal where he's like, oh, I trusted the wrong people and now we're like in, in debt if only prayer could so and it's like just uh just give me some money to make these movies it's like ha um, I, I think there's a reading of this where he is possibly the cardinal but he's also michael who's very much like once i thought i was out but now i have to come back in and deal with all this crap again yeah. um but we'll get to that when we talk about the spoiler zone but jen and again same question for jay same permutations like from your memory of Godfather Part 3, like, would you recommend that listeners pause the podcast and watch a version of the movie? And would you recommend one over the other in particular? Um, I mean, it's a cultural artifact. It kind of transcends, it sounds wanky, but it kind of transcends it being like part of something in a way, like it being a film in its own right in the way of there's so much talk around it that I think you're missing out on a conversation. You're missing out on something, not in a completest way. I don't feel like that, but I just think as a part of film history, I think you're missing out on something if you don't watch it. Um, And it has to be seen to be believed in some ways, because, you know, (laughs) like where you go from, like, where do you, like there's some scenes in it that I, I really just want, I want to see, with an audience. I want other people to watch it with me. I want to just, you know, it it, it has, for me personally, it has high camp value. Um, and I love it in that way. I have an affection for it in that way. Um, but I do think people need to, to see it because I need, uh, it, it needs to be judged. They, they need to make their own judgment on it and not go from what critics say or not go what from what the cultural reception was at the time. They need to have their own take on it, I think. Um, Version wise, I actually prefer like this the coda I, because I like the ending more. Um, that's the only reason really why. Yeah, but I think either either or, but they just need it needs to be seen. It definitely needs to be viewed 
for sure. Um, and I, I do love, by the way, you mentioned kind of the camp value of it. Like last week when we were talking with Brian and Dee about it, and I think Brian's exact quote was, which poor suckers did you truck, trick into talking about Godfather Part 3? Um, we kind of like, one of the big questions Andrew asked, having not seen the coda before, was like, yeah, but does it include scene here um like this particular scene this particular beat which is this kind of like goofy embarrassing perhaps laughable moment and it's like i really don't want them to cut out the robot butler um of godfather part three and i think to to coda's credit coppola doesn't cut out a lot of the stuff that he got dinged for and i think that's something Uh, that people that people are uh, sorry parts of the movie that people are sniffy about yeah see this is the thing because i think like because two, as I said, you can talk about two all the live long day. Like there's like massive breeze block textbooks written about every inch of two. And two is so explored and revered and honored. And we know so much about how important it is to cinema and blah, blah. But like the thing about three is it's it's like a, a an undiscovered country. There's so much in it that because it's been so derided that people have ignored about it, that it's time to like, it's now time to tuck into this. And it's also now time to view this in a different way and to t- kind of, a lot of people now are like reclaiming their L's, like reclaiming their losses, reclaiming being a, you know, a loser where they took a dive or whatever. And I think it's enjoyable to, to go back and, and look at something like this with fresh eyes and not just poo poo it out of what, out of kind of a cultural, you know, misstep Cringe. or what the, the general consensus about like conventional film going society thought of it. I think that's a bit ridiculous. Like, and that's why I kind of love, you know, when somebody, when there is this big, huge feeling, sweeping feeling against something, I always want to go, hang on a sec, I want to actually look at this for myself. And like, you know, it, it may have taken me a long time to, like, well, not a long time, but a long time to view The Godfather in general. Like, I, I had to remove myself from a lot of, like, masculine culture to actually get my own spin on it. But like, it may have took, take me time to get to that. But I think everybody should take the time to kind of, it's not like you're watching, I don't know, like back to the future part three it's not you know what i mean it's it's it has this it it feels like it has this cultural notion as like this punchline this like you know car horn clown car horn but like i think you know that's worth viewing it's it's worth viewing for that alone then if you think this is you know a conversation around this then yeah get stuck in and watch it then i mean like it's it's worth noting by the way that like we talk about like it being a punchline like it was a a phenomenon when it landed in december like when they pushed back from like november to december all the other studios moved their films out of the way because the idea was this was going to be like the titanic of 1990 you had movies like three men and little lady was like pushed back to make room to get film was pushed how dare they (laughs) (laughs) if you had to choose going to a cinema in december 1990 which would you pick but yeah you had things like the russia house moving bonfire of the vanities of all things was kind of yeah talking about bad it is uh, but in its own way is, and i think yes, this yes, is yes, the yes, thing yes. it's mad kind of pushing russia house forward because it's a it's a movie that's very much kind of like um relevant to like the end of the cold war a year and then, yeah before or, yeah yeah <laughs> a year before in december 1990 it's, and a uh, film i haven't heard a conversation about in 30 years <laughs> Yeah. But like it, it set opening day records, a Christmas day record of $6.4 million um, opened in something like, you know, 1800 theaters earning an average of $3,500 for each. So it was like it was a big deal. It was it was a cultural phenomenon. And it was this kind of seismic force, which is kind of interesting. But um, Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend listeners pause the podcast? And would you recommend either version from memory? Yeah. 
Yeah, I uh, probably would. I, I, I don't know what the difference was. <laughs> you know, like, I, 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 I understand from like um, uh, uh, authoritative sources that this was a different movie. <laughs> was uh, that authoritative source like um, like yourself, Co- Coppola, 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 and like right before yeah, you watched the movie? Exactly, <laughs> it is a different title. This is what you pirate, so you don't you don't get influenced in that way. You it's, just get straight into the film. Like. Andrew just swayed by Coppola. How it's do like, you I, know you saw Coda? <laughs> Did Francis Ford Coppola yeah. tell you you saw? Exactly. Put sunglasses on to watch it. <laughs> I do love. I do love, by the way, that like Coda is like Coda is five minutes shorter with a three minute introduction by Coppola. That's efficiency right there. But sorry, Andrew. No, yeah, I, 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 I would recommend that people watch it. Cause I, I mean, if if you've seen, um, like, I suppose you you could argue that The Godfather Part Two concludes the series well enough, but I I I I I think this does a decent job too, and and it's also kind of uh, epic and like um, it's dreadful. Shakespearean. Properly Shakespearean Greek yeah. tragedy kind of stuff, which I mean the other two obviously are as well, but this leans full tilt. The tension in this is incredible. I wonder just uh, before you jump into the spoiler zone whether the um, there's people existing in the world now who think Code has got a Best Picture nomination. <laughs> oh, yeah, they probably do. Like I genuinely like that. that there's like one percent of the world thinking, oh, a couple of that it might win Best Picture because all the old stagers who. You get their film set up for them to watch. The Academy members who are 95 will kind of slither in and watch it in a wheelchair and then vote for it because they think it's going to be a thing. I'm not watching it. It's only a couple of them. Let's give him the Oscar. And the code wins this picture because 90-year-olds think it's the couple of recut. Oh, God. Which would be quite amazing in a way, like for a theater code. I'd say I mean. so. Yeah, that, that, it's probably within a shout. Like, what yeah. a world. i got to stick a tenor on it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that's it. Like that's the thing. You're waiting for the power of the dog to kind of falter. Coda, I think, is like third after Belfast. So power of the I, dog. I haven't seen Coda. Don't look up or one of the others. I've seen well, six. I mean, of after them. we, after we, rec- after we recommended, don't look up so strongly on this podcast. <laughs> Um, and for myself, um, very quickly, uh, yes, I'll hardly recommend it. And obviously the best way to watch it is on two screens simultaneously with yes. both versions. That is undeniably the best way to watch it. You're no, insane. The Robert Graysmith way of watching films. <laughs> <laughs> but no, watch watch Coda. Coda is, I think, uh, an appreciably better version. Do you say the Robert Durst way of watching films? No, oh, no but it could be as well. Francis Ford Coppola looking at the movie and it's in the ending bay going, what, I, I killed that movie. That's what I did. I killed, <laughs> I killed it. Stone Dead. <laughs> yeah. What did I do to deserve these reviews? I killed that movie. Just when um, I thought I was out of the bathroom, they pulled me back. <laughs> I, I watched a movie. I watched two movies at the same time. All right. Yeah. So, Sorry. With that um, in mind, then, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. So, Jen, you said there that there should be books written and thesis statements delivered and like this movie should be like studied inch by inch, examined with a microscope. So, Jen, I'm going to open the door. What is 
Godfather Part 3 or Godfather Coda, whatever you want to call it, what is it about for you? Well, I mean, I meant like two. Two has all that stuff written oh, about Oh, two has it. been, yeah. But yeah. like, I think you three... You said this was Undiscovered Country, I think. Yeah, it so is. Let's, let's like, I mean, for me, like, oh, what is it? Like, for me, it's about like Al Pacino being a, a diabetic king. <laughs> That's like, <laughs> Michael is a diabetic king in a tree. My mom is a diabetic. She has type 1 diabetes. And I loved the fact that it was like such a big part of this storyline. It's like, Al Pacino having like, like, a hi- like the, the greatest film version of a hypo I've ever seen. Like, and swilling orange juice, like in front of priests and like stuffing <laughs> his face with sweets. Like, I love it. I love when he almost like, passes out in the kitchen and like I just for me that's like one of the only on-screen diabetics I've ever seen and I love how dramatic it is and like it's Al Pacino doing it so that yeah in general but like <laughs> before we move off the diabetic king thing because I think it's worth focusing on this like I love that like first of all that it's it's something that he's given himself but like the, the perception of diabetes is something that is driven by your diet in some way shape or form so the idea of what he's consumed Doesn't is it depend on what type on yeah, genetics, you'll see, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 it could be genetic like my mom's or it could be like type two so they never actually say <laughs> maybe yeah. they were waiting but, for the next film to tell the us. next cut yeah that's, <laughs> uh, unfortunately we had to trim that that was in like the five minutes we lost but like the the idea but i think you know from the film you could get the inference that maybe it is is related to his diet because like he's introduced like walking up to Kay holding two slices of cake before the cake has been cut which is one of those editing things like again you can tell this movie was kind of slot together in the ending booth very quickly but like before you see him cut the cake you see him carrying two two slices of cake preemptively um and obviously later on there's a sequence where he's walking with anthony and anthony is holding the little painting or the little drawing that he gives anthony later in the same scene if you watch that sequence, which is again a, a sense of how the movie was I, kind of put. I don't care about any of that. Like, I, I, what I mean yeah. is, I don't care about any of that in um, in the sense that I it's don't care about. Con- it's not a big I don't care about continuity in films, generally speaking. Uh, like, oh, yeah. like I, I don't I, like what I mean is, I, it doesn't particularly bother me if something like you see a lot of Scorsese films where somebody's holding a wine glass, cuts back, nobody's holding a wine glass, like an episode of CSI or something. You know, <laughs> it happens everywhere and everything because everybody's under under the gun. Like, so it's never particularly bothered me. Like, I actually have fun with it. And I rarely recognize it, to be honest, on somebody points it out to me. I'm, I'm terrible. Like, I wouldn't even know. I didn't recognize the cake thing on you said it. I, like, I just generally don't take, I don't, I don't notice things like that. It's weird. My brain just doesn't see it. I just I'm, let the film flow. I'm not criticizing. I'm more just me pointing and Brody. to it. <laughs> uh, just we're, we're like that, me and Richard. Richie. Um. Richie, Dick, um, but like you, you, I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I'm no, not, it's just interesting. It is interesting, but I just never see it. I'm, I'm not criticizing the movie. I just think it illustrates the extent to which this was clearly a movie that came together in post. Oh, for sure, yeah. Like you could tell that it's just this. I have no idea where this is gonna go, so I have to fix it in post. So it's like we need to have the conversation before he cuts the cake. Yeah. But uh, we shot it with the cake. But I do the idea that yeah, that he's introduced eating cake, and the idea that maybe. There's a sense of it maybe being a metaphor for... It's like, are you eating cake? We're going to have cake later. <laughs> yeah. After we yeah. cut it. Did you go out and buy that cake? And two slices as well. And, and you know the K doesn't like cake. You were married to her for years. It's like, yeah. oh, you don't want this cake? 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, I guess I'll have it. Yeah. Like, I, I do like the implication that, again, it's, it's this idea, again, very Shakespearean, of the idea that Michael is perhaps being eaten by his sins and the idea of kind of consumption maybe being tied into that. Because, mm. like, so much of The Godfather, like, we talked about it when we talked about Goodfellas, how much of the Italian-American cinematic experience seems to be filtered through the lens of food and, and food as a social occasion and food as, a, as something that you celebrate. And the idea of diabetes being connected to food, whether controlling the food that you can eat or being I'm being deprived by... yes yeah. yes exactly it and and the idea I like as, as Jen mentioned the diabetes here being a major thematic point like his father who choked on an orange <laughs> like, like, that's it. but it's like yeah. the melodrama attached to deprivation and overindulgence and I loved that about it like that's one of my favorite things about it and I, I and you know but like other than that, in general, what I think it's about, if you're going to be like serious, I mean, it's about like, serious. <laughs> you know, rituals and hierarchy and like that conservative thing of, you know, finding the shield of religion in your old age that uh, happens to a lot of men, especially, I think. And then it's like, you know, the usual kind of couple of themes within the Godfather of like all institutions, whether it's like country, family or religion, like they're all corrupt in some way. There is no safety in any of them. Um, like and having any kind of idealism is completely it's a naive kind of, you know, mindset. And, you know, it's, it's pretty nihilistic and it, it kind of carries on that disillusionment from two, I think, onwards. And it, but it's more. It's more on a personal level, I felt like for Coppola himself. And I think it's like all about how blind faith won't help you. Like there's no redemption. You, you won't be saved at the end of the day. And that's a pretty like majorly depressing theme to have. And I think, you know, three for all the everything that's thrown at it, it, it is like a continuation from the, the themes of the heavy, heavy themes of two, I think, just done in a very bombastic 90s like late 80s early 90s style like yeah there's a moment where he's like having dinner with Kay and he holds the knife to her to his throat and he's like say it say it and I'll do it and it's like and she's like what the what the hell are you doing can can I just say though one of my absolute favorite things about this film is like there is more about the domesticity the domestic life of Michael and Kay and I earlier on like in one and two I never bought it I never bought their relationship I thought they had anti-chemistry and I thought that was because they were conscious of their off-screen kind of dalliances, their, that romance that, like, um, they had throughout off-screen, like Diane Keaton and Al Pacino had this kind of very turbulent on, on and off, off yeah. kind of relationship from 1971 onwards. And I think they were more of a couple at the time of the film and a three. And you can see that. You can see they're very comfortable around each other. And you, it lets it lets you kind of see them as a couple and it lets them breathe a bit. Like, And I wanted like it to kind of scurry off into their rom-com in Sicily. I was like, when he's sitting in the driver's seat, like as her, you know, chauffeur, I was like, let me see this this rom-com. I loved it. I I, I wanted more of that. And I just thought Diane Keaton has never looked better in a film. I don't think I think she looks absolutely stunning in this the gold outfit Connie Connie is like oh where's Michael where where could he be Like, you know, to, to kind of underline the sort of... Or, or is the this, pantomime, it's Mary, it's Mary. It's Mary, it Yeah, no, Mary. I don't think Connie, yeah. Connie... Connie doesn't seem like she's the fun no, party game I, type, to be fair. It was Mary. 
Yeah. Honey is the kind of the cold heart behind the throne kind of thing. Well, she's yeah. the Lady Macbeth, I think. Yeah. Like, but she also looks like she's dressed like she's going to be off into like the Imperial, you know, guard or like in Star Wars, <laughs> yeah. like in something. She's off for like doing her job in council. Like, afraid of and, me? Maybe they should be afraid of you. Um, there's that, there's that, there is that shot though when he's in the, when he's the chauffeur where I was thinking, you remember when they, they did the shining and was the kickoff point, I think, for the, you know, the, the romantic comedy uh, trailers. Trailer. When they start cutting the trailers for horror films and stuff. It's like, there's your romantic comedy shot of uh, the Godfather Part 3 together as a comedy rom-com trailer. There's the, like, ah, look around the corner. And think. It's <laughs> I like, wanted that. I wanted that because it's so much of like three, you can see the, you know, burgeoning hoo-ha Al Pacino like yeah. coming into play and that's possibly why people have a problem with the acting style because it's not the coldness of you know Michael in part two it's like this new it's Al Pacino doing lighter stuff and like being way way over the top like but um yeah I really wanted it to kind of just veer off and leave all like the religious the, the popey backbiting and just follow them on their little trip around Sicily and you know see if he could like romance blossom again between the two of them. <laughs> that's what I wanted from it. I think Jonathan, yeah, that's a fanfic territory. <laughs> right, right there, yeah, there's the AU. Like, where's the coffee shop? Like, it, you know, the Corleone coffee shop um, AU. I thought it was like going to start to rain or something when they were going to see the stupid puppet they show. They under a barn. Yeah, they had to go back the, into the car. Yeah. Like, that's the foreboding puppet should, show. Yeah. It should be <laughs> about him moving show. to Sicily to, to, to finally like make olive oil. <laughs> to complete it exactly, it is, kind of, yeah. And then some like oboe player would appear, like there'd be some score while they're getting it on in the car to the in the rain. Yeah, I, are we just thinking? Are we like I'm kind we of like chocolate? Or... Paint me like one of your Italian girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Paint me like your wife who loved the momos. <laughs> What's that Russell Crowe movie where he takes over? A good a year. Thing, a good the year. Oh, movie. yes. Yeah. That film where nothing happens. Love it. <laughs> um, but like, and I, I think there's an interesting argument that I think like uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum makes about like The Godfather Part 3 and kind of like his argument for why it deserves to be considered a classic is that it's, it's very similar to what Jen said there, which is like we talked about with Godfather Part 2 and how much of Godfather Part 2 is an aggressive screw you to everybody who seemed to enjoy Godfather Part 1, where it gives you all of the stuff from the original Godfather. Obviously, we were too subtle. We we were, I think. yeah, the, and 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 this movie kind of heightens that. What, that where it's just like let, let's make it uh, far more explicit. <laughs> yeah, let's have the characters actually remark on it. Yeah, but like, the the point but, that I was going to make that Rosenbaum makes, which I think is is interesting, is that like while politics two... and crime, they're the same thing. It's like a line from this. Movie. Yeah, <laughs> but like, there's no subtext. That's the problem. Yeah. Like you yeah. know, he literally yeah. says that. Like. Politics is knowing when to pull the trigger. Um, like, that sort of stuff. But it's like, you you have this idea that Godfather Part 2 is like punishing you for wanting this stuff, but it still gives you that stuff. You still have scenes like the strangling of uh, Pentangeli, for example. You still have the shootout in New York City. You still have like the machine guns at the house and stuff. And Rosenbaum makes the point that like three is much more full of scenes of characters talking to one another about things they either will or won't do. And while there are obviously, like, action beats in there, the movie is much less interested in the mob stuff. Like, this is the thing where I mentioned, like, is Michael a meta, like a stand-in for Francis Ford Coppola? And I think that's something to talk about when we talk about Sophia, obviously. But in terms of, like, making this movie, the bit where Jay's like, you know, is it the... Oh, sorry, Andrew's like, is it just give me the money? Give me the money and let me do what I want. But, like, the idea that Michael wants to do 
Michael wants to do this big religious Catholic thing, which is arguably closer to Coppola's interests at this point in his career. It's like, I want to do this spiritual story about redemption, about this idea of reflecting and being kind of melancholy and wondering whether your life means anything. And very particularly the story of like, whether or not you failed your children and whether or not Mm. you were responsible for what happens to them. We'll come back to that, put a pin in that. But there's a real sense of the movie also being like, yeah, but it's a Godfather movie. And so you have to have mobsters. And how contemptuous the movie is of like having to deal with like uh joey zaza um or having to deal with uh, the don played by eli wallach in fairness they kill all the mobsters off fairly handily like in one, <laughs> one uh sequence yeah they machine gun them machine, from a helicopter machine gun them a diehard style uh <laughs> again very 80s very 90s but it, but it works I, as a scene though i didn't mind that but like i feel like nobody should survive that <laughs> that as as in like if you're going to do that, why have everybody but them die? Like that 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 like they shouldn't be in the room if they're going to survive. If everybody else in the room is going to die, right? <laughs> Michael just. <laughs> It felt like that meeting in some like a hut where, you know, it's like the gangster board meeting for some reason in Atlantic City. But also, just as an aside, when I rewatched it like recently, there is a load of brown sauce on that table in Atlantic City. I was like, where is this coming from? Did they order this in and be like, the gangsters love HP? And like, it's so bizarre to see it in Atlantic City. Like, I was just like, where where is this? expelling him from olive oil into other condiments it's a globalized um, market like you have the sequence where like Al Pacino is like he, he invites in uh, people of color he invites in people from the Hispanic community and it's like I want to thank our Genco oil company which now is bringing in HP brown <laughs> sauce from yeah, Ireland it's yeah, like uh, this this I cannot do our um, <laughs> our friends um, so they they support what we do they uh, if they found out we were doing brown sauce those <laughs> friends would no longer be my friends yeah. <laughs> sorry exactly. I, I don't promise none of my men in Port Chef I promise to kill anyone who You're does <laughs> but um, sorry but Jen, Jen sorry to, to they were dis- just putting out the tea course <laughs> like anyone wants some chef in their coffee um, yeah. I, I, is that food waste is that, does, that count, does that count as food waste that like there's some chef in that Atlantic City hotel who's like I cooked a whole meal and they ki- murdered them all before <laughs> yeah, the starter yeah. there is food waste I mean there is also the cannoli later on the poison, poison cannoli, cannoli. Yeah. Does you that tasted, you're too thin. And also, like, <laughs> just when the uh, when you're talking about food, like when your man who's on the train to kill Michael and he has the gun. El Neary, yes. He has and the he gun and the biscuit. box of biscuits. But, like, that's a real Irish thing, I thought. And it felt like he's going to open it and it was like a sewing kit. I really miss that you don't see El Neary, like, cutting out the shape of the gun. Yeah, like, the night, the night before, kind of what like. What is the point of that? I don't know, but I loved it. I, I have to say, I absolutely loved it. I was like, tin of biscuits, this is great. <laughs> the weird thing about that scene is, I thought, um, and what what makes the kind of point where Gemma's saying that's so bombastic compared to the, the first two films is that in that whole sequence, it's Vincent, now Vincent Corleone, laying out the Eva plan of voiceover, whereas like the previous films, just things happen. And it was very clear, the visual language is that you, you know exactly what's being laid out here. The editing is being done to death to get you where you need to be. Whereas, and Neil Neary was on his way to Rome to get it do and this and the other guy was here. And I was like, supposed to not. No, it's a really film. Yeah. 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 It's like, 
Stop talking. The magic of 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 in in the um, in the first one where you're seeing all the setups and stuff. Like, yeah, like just, why is Clemenza going up the stairs? You just don't uh, have yeah. it. Like, so they yeah. just have who's to getting hit and who's hitting, kind of thing. Yeah. Exactly. Is Clemenza about to be um, killed, or is he killed? about to kill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going to uh, happen yeah. to my? It's just like you know, where, where did. Andy Garcia yeah. get a voiceover. Oh, Andy Garcia to get a voiceover. Well, Two quarters of the way into it. It's the Godfather. It happens. It's when you get made Godfather. They they don't show it on screen. It's give you a microphone. Yeah. They- <laughs> And, and a, a little cologne. diary, yeah. A little, you start journaling excessively, but like and he I, starts cruising. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but like the the thing that I wanted to kind of mention, like the the idea that it is it is a more it like and and Jay's point there about narration is spot on. It's it's a very dialogue driven movie. Yeah, there's a lot of scenes of characters talking at length. It's very heavily influenced by obviously like King Lear to the point where like when yeah. as, as Jen mentioned, when he's having his diabetic stroke, there's oh, a I thunderstorm literally. The thundercat hurts. It's a great scene. Yeah. Harmless yeah. noise, yeah. so good, like so good. Why aren't people sampling that? Why haven't? Why hasn't that been sampled on like an Aphex Twin track or something? Like it's, it's deserved. I love it. Like I mean, when people think about like The Godfather, they think about that line, you know, like just when I thought it was out, they pulled me back in, and that's three. Like you know, I mean, I just think that yeah. a true enemy. Also, but I do think that like I've been interesting. Like I I've been slagging off kind of like a terror campaign slagging like off Pacino roles for the last 20 years because it's fun kind of post-scent of a woman right right but however in my kind of honesty here after watching The Irishman which is sensational oh, amazing uh, right I've I've softened on Lou Pacino to the point where I enjoy more like I'm, I'm almost going back to Adam Sandler films. I'm not but I could almost go back to the Adam Sandler films he rocks up in and stuff like that he's good in this like he'd like Jay will be like, appearing in our Jack and Jill episode. I know, right? But like, there's a like even the, just when he thought it was out, pulling back in. If you take that line within this, like just as a pop cultural line, and meme mm. and everything else yeah. is interesting, right? But within this scene, it's Amazing. perfect in terms of that high pitched, uh, thundering Shakespearean uh, Greek tragedy. You don't expect to cut to a Greek chorus looking down above on a yeah. rock. Do you know, it's that big. And it's like, the same. And it really well like, that's the folks, same when yeah. he's getting absolution, like from yes. the Cardinal. And I found that way Which more affecting uh, this time around than I ever did, where, yeah. you know, the whole, I, I killed my father's son. And I just think, like, a lot of people are like, oh my God, that's so overblown. But I actually really liked it. And I really liked the way it was shot. I liked the way it was shot from behind. And you, get, you just see his back and you see him breaking down. And I think. Um, it's a lot more than what people expected from Al Pacino at the time or from Al Pacino looking back on it. I think that's fair. Definitely. No, I think I, th- I actually really do, though. I think it's a tremendous performance. And I like that it is operatic and unashamedly operatic yeah. to the point where, like, it. there's a moment where Kay and Michael attend a street puppet show. Oh, that God. Is, this is, the no yeah, subtext. Like this, <laughs> yeah, this, this is the no subtext. This is what is going to happen in the movie in case you don't get it. Also, then they go and watch an opera, which is also like, this is what is happening in the movie right now in case you don't I, get it. I like the way that they they, they replay stuff from, from Godfather Part 2. Because that's... Um, the um, That's very similar to when... The when Don, Vin, where yeah. it's like, oh, I don't like it. It's too violent. Um, but that they also... Um, uh, replay the parade yes as well which then, is where where the Don gets murdered and they also they also do like obviously you have the opening scene particularly in Coda where Michael is visiting the Cardinal that's very much a scene a riff on the I believe in America scene yeah. or the, the bit at the start of two where everybody kind of petitions him like there's a lot of there is a lot of echo shot is a, a skyscraper beside the church 
Yeah. It's it's not it's not a it's not it's not a <laughs> not subtle. <laughs> not, not, <laughs> with depth and complexity. But like no no and I think that that echoing is is quite interesting because like I think if you look at the structure of the trilogy, it's kind of interesting that you start with one and then one is kind of like largely told chronologically, two is kind of prequel and, and present day, and then three three is this story about Michael going back to the old country. Like, so much of, like, one and two are the idea of, like, heading westwards. It's going from, like, Sicily to New York, going from New York to Las Vegas, and ending up on Lake Tahoe, unable to touch the shores of California. But you have the idea that in three, it's like, no, we go back to the old world. And it becomes, it's almost like the film reverts. It's like, it it, it stops being a 1970s crime. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's, that's literally, okay, yeah. yeah, that's a nice segue into, I guess this is a Sofia Coppola thing. So it is that, that kind of thing as well, where all the old tons end up sitting in Sicily, falling over and dying, don't they? Like, it's <laughs> like it's a kind of do-lally where they're introduced to the next generation of guy who doesn't ever think he's going to be the old guy <laughs> sitting in high-waisted uh, trousers and the uh, belts over their shoulders. <laughs> they all, because they all end up in that way, eating oranges and being stabbed to death by vengeful <laughs> nephews or whatever. Like, it's like, it's, it's all, like, do you know what I mean? Once you don't see him keel over, you know it's somebody's coming to stab him to death at some point in the next year. Like, I know, you you, I know he dies at the end, but in the original thing, but like, it's always there for it all. That's what I kind of love about it. You see, it, it, he has a kind of Mister Rogers um, um, kind of cardigan on. It does. Um, yeah, during the the, the diabetic scene mm. with the, with the lightning. Yeah. yeah, but like, and and like, I think like that sort of thing is kind of interesting. That what Jay said is that like it becomes instead of being a story about progress and advancement and movement and the idea like you know in one it's like you know I I never wanted this for you. I thought we'd have more time and we'll get there, pop. I like the two is like, no, you'll never get there. And three is like, actually, you'll just end up going back to Italy and like, you know, you'll end up basically where your father started um, and have absolutely nothing to show for it. But I think that that's maybe a nice kind of segue to talk about. Andrew mentioned like the very old fashioned throwback, again, Greek plays, Shakespeare plays, incest subplot. Um, but the I feel like I, I, I'm going to throw this to you. Oh, sorry. It's very strange kind of treatment of it. Because nobody is like Michael is wrong. very chill about it. Can I yeah, just say like, he's extremely it's chill about it? <laughs> do you love your family? Is, it's dangerous, especially your cousin. So know, we, odd. Uh, can I ask a question? That this is probably going to get me cancelled. Is are we still frowning on first cousins? Is that still? Oh my god! Are we still what? Disconnect this call. It's not an illegal issue, is it? Yeah. But Jay's so, just opened up a whole conversation well, I don't this, think we're ready for in this country or on this I podcast. I think it's come up in pop culture a lot, is what I'm saying. It's not like... Jay's getting out of ba- a banjo. Um, <laughs> no, I... I, 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 have not, I, I have not got first cousins I've interested in. I had to in. be I'm taught. Just to point that out I, just, I had to be... I had to be taught not to fancy my first cousins. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> Jen's reaction is priceless. I feel like it's, we're losing something in this. Scenario. I, mean, I also like the implication of like taught, like it, like Pavlovian. Like was there like a screen and yeah, a zapper? I was, I was told it was wrong. Like, what I'm saying is, I wasn't shocked by the film. Like it, there's nothing in it. Like it's like you look okay together. <laughs> <laughs> Their kids will probably be fine. Yeah, it's fine. Um, well, I mean, like, okay, this is one of the things where... You have chemistry, like. <laughs> just, just to say. Um, well, okay, well, like, one of the things about it is that, yes, uh, w- 
there have been studies done and actually like notably prompted by this movie so i guess you can chalk that up to the cultural impact of god i'm gonna chalk it up to the american legions of decency or whatever that forced them to do these studies <laughs> but go on um um uh, this is where Andrew makes some joke about the front page of pornhub but no there have been studies done on the marriages of mafia families within sicily in particular uh in the village of corleone um which is obviously an influence uh, an influence here and it's something like 50 percent of marriages within Corleone are between first cousins. There you so go. Probably, so they were fine. <laughs> that kind of accounts for a lot of the exceptions. I, I, they were all PEs and Pauls as well, so that's that's was, it's, uh, that's the thing. Got confused. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to quote another I 90s movie. Wives, like, called Marie. Marie. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, I think it is, that like, it, it also works thematically because it's about keeping it in the family. Like, again, so much of, we talked about, like when we talked about Godfather and Godfather Part 2, is like Michael tries to marry outside the family with Kay, who is a wasp, and it doesn't work because she's never going to be, she's never going to be accepted in the world and she's never going to accept the world. So the argument is then, so who do you marry if you live in that world, if you can't marry somebody outside your particular social circle where everybody is related to one another? Also, to end much- like a film like this, it has to be a tragedy of biblical yeah. proportions. Oh, yeah. Like yes. it has yeah. to be that epic. So it could only be this, you know, it wouldn't ha- be as potent if it was, you know, an outsider or, you know, somebody else. It has to have been a, a relative, you know, to make it like to yeah. kind of join the story up like in that way Probably. to make it I so that that's huge story. like how it ended like yeah <laughs> I mean that's why people love Game of Thrones right oh well yeah that and all the rapes <laughs> yeah but that who doesn't love a good rape that's a very good point though uh, Jen that 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 it, it really does heighten the drama and it, it makes it more kind of of a uh, Greek tragedy yeah kind of, of a kind of like a cautionary tale <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that Andrew's implying that like when he had to be taught not to fancy his cousins they sat him down and made him watch Godfather Part 3 it's like I want no you to take one lesson away for you things yeah. on his eyes uh, yeah. the clock are going <laughs> Like and again, the sexy notches is something to mention because like that's the food, the connection between food and intimacy. In fairness, he looked well. like good gnocchi, and like I like <laughs> you know I'd be in there like it's like I get roll my hands, Andy Garcia. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm eating dinner tonight. But <laughs> well, and, and and again, I watched the two movies side by side, so I'd notice that like he would start scenes early and leave scenes. Sorry, start scenes late and leave scenes early. Which again is that very much filmmaker thing. You join a scene as late as possible, but all of the nutchy is in there. Like, that's the thing. I think Andrew asked last week, when you watch Coda, are you losing any of the incest nutchy? And I can tell you, Andrew, you do not lose a single frame of that. that or is, should you? That is all kind of preserved. And I actually think that's a nice thing in the movie is that Coppola doesn't try to remove the things that he got dinged for. I think Jen mentioned this. And I think this is a nice segue into talking maybe about Sophia. But like, he doesn't he doesn't really remove or downplay her performance. He cuts a couple of lines here or there. Mm. It's less common for Sophia to start a conversation um, in the coda. She's much more likely to respond to somebody else at the start of a scene. Um, but generally speaking, he preserves as much as possible. And if you listen to the commentary of Three, it's amazing because he's talking about how he's Michael and how he's angry at Paramount and how he shouldn't have had to make this movie. But every time Sophia appears on screen, he's like, it's Sophia. She's so lovely, isn't she? Look at her. Look at her. She's amazing. Fantastic, Sophia. And I that's the like, way I feel. I <laughs> yeah. There's a child <laughs> at the start of it that's hanging on to Sophia's dress when her and Al Pacino yes. are dancing. And I was like, yes. oh, that's me. <laughs> there I am. <laughs> I didn't know he was in this. So I'm going to I'm going to defer over to Jen, give Jen a solid 20 minutes on <laughs> Sophia Coppola and The Godfather Part 3. So just go anywhere you want to go, anywhere you want to start with. Well, I mean, 
For me, like, I mean, uh, that interview with uh, Francis Ford Coppola, he was always saying, like, the bullets that killed the daughter were meant for the father. And that's the way he sees Sophia's performance. And this is exactly what happens with Michael and Mary. But I, for me, like the backstory where Winona Ryder was always was pegged for Mary and she just finished shooting mermaids and she went straight to Rome and she collapsed. But then that's the official story. And they said like she had exhaustion and she had to go and take, you know, a leave of absence. But like what wasn't said was she was also in love with Johnny Depp and well getting to know Johnny Depp at the time and that Tim Burton wanted her in Edward Scissorhands and so did Johnny Depp really you know harsh wanted this to happen and and they wanted Tim Burton wanted this love story to to happen on screen so she agreed to do Edward Scissorhands instead and they were left in disarray and I know that Francis Ford Coppola had um he had auditioned Madonna, my other fave, and turned Madonna was turned down because apparently she was too old. Um, so she wasn't considered <laughs> because they wanted... I mean, this is always... This is Madonna 101. You're too old for yeah. everything. Why don't you just disappear? Um, so, yeah. And I think, you know, with, losing Winona was massive news and it was massive news everywhere. And um, according to Sophia, she was saying that she was just on set all the time anyway, there around was seeing how the script was developing was was a stand-in for Winona before she could make it um from the set of Mermaids so it felt like it was a natural fit and they just said look and she thought she was helping her dad out to do this and little did she know that the fans were really just going to gun for her as like the critics did too and I think you know when I watched it I think she is in a different film I think she is amazing not, not I wouldn't say amazing but I think there's she there's an authenticity to her performance she's 18 19 she plays it like a teenager she yeah. is very lo-fi whereas this film is very operatic and dramatic and over the top whereas her performance is very what we know of Sofia Coppola of her films now it's very subtle it's very nuanced it's very underplayed and she has like She's very weirdly half shy, half bored, really over it. That's the way she plays Mary. And I kind of love that. She's a sulky teen. And it's it's given me performances that we'd see later on and like that we're used to, like in teen dramas like Gossip Girl or that, you know, we're used to seeing in indie films. And it, it feels real to me in a way that those archetypes and those characters, which I think are, you know, quite, they're so well drawn and, and we know them so well because um, we've been with them for so long, they don't feel real, whereas she actually feels like she's been dropped in from a different film that's a lot more realistic. And I think that was to her detriment then, because if you're playing against someone like Andy Garcia, who I just think is from like the John Travolta school of shouting at the end of every bloody sentence, like it's going to look weird. And it does. It looks jarring. And I think it's that's not her problem, really. And I think she was doing like not like she was doing it as well as she could have and I really like it as a performance and I, I and that's just not me talking as you know a fan I'm talking like genuinely I was ready to go look I'll watch this again and maybe I'll feel differently but I felt exactly the same and I think the press reaction to it and the public reaction to it was like you've literally killed your father's career and you can still to this day there's horrible reddit message like you know, whole threads about how disgraceful she is in this film. And she said it was such a weird experience because she was, after, during the promo of the film, she was getting all these glam shots and photos taken of her 
you know, as a star of this film. And then they were put on the front of like Entertainment Weekly saying, has she destroyed her father's career? How terrible is Sofia Coppola? And that is a crazy thing for uh, like any to happen to anyone, but let alone like someone who's 18, 19 and her, you know, goal was never to be an actress. And I think a lot of this, you know, critics and the public thought, ha, we're really digging into her so she'll never work again. And it's like, but she never wanted to work in this field to begin with. And I think, you know, she felt a lot of shame around it in that way because she felt like she had sullied her, you know, dad's reputation or tarnished the film. And he felt exactly the same. He, he felt like he couldn't protect her and he'd hurt her. And I think, you know, for viewing it through a different lens now that we can see that I don't think it's a terrible performance at all. And I don't, I don't know if anybody else felt the same or if they felt that they thought it was abysmal I don't know but I I always think that she plays it really well because she was a teenager I think if that performance had been in Godfather Part 2 it would have fit a lot better in a quieter film in a yeah. kind of still more still film I think I think it's a performance I think you're right it's a performance outside the film's range pitch um, <laughs> I think Brody gets at it in terms he was, he was suggesting that like exactly as you said Jen that there's the kind of couple of performances she gets out of cast and actors and style that she was playing with and she was only young and I, I think it works for her it doesn't necessarily work for the film but I think she she gives as good a performance as she can give within the film I, 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 like, I like Garcia and he's doing the sunny hothead thing but it like it's very hard to play against that when you when you're and not an, an eighteen-year-old, like, yeah, 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 an eighteen-year-old like who's like never acted like it, on, like, well, in, well, not act, never acted. I think I think it's very difficult like to to play against that, particularly what she's being asked to do because it's a lot, and you can see why he hired on a writer for it. I think we know very good actress would have been very good. Yeah, and yeah, you can see I mean, why, and like that's that's asking a lot, and she plays it the only way she can play it because that's who she is, um, and I think it's a performance that works for her, and I think it works. As a performance, I think she's not bad at all, but she's also unfortunate because it's not, it's the Godfather tree <laughs> as opposed well, to anything else. Like, Isn't that the, the it's kind of uh, Francis Ford Coppola's fault? It's a, something like, really, I think yeah. he probably shouldn't have hired her and yeah. probably should have cast it again. As um, in, it was a kind of, it, it's, it's harsh, like, it's asking a lot of her. It's risky to, to put the, her in the spotlight like that. I think that was the problem. And I think he thought, yeah, that it was taking a chance on her, but like also that she was kind of helping him out. Like, and yeah, I, I really it's, think... It's very, I don't think, I obviously didn't expect the reaction. No. That, uh, and it was obscene, like, to be honest. It's like the kind of entering your daughter in a beauty pageant thing. Exactly. Where, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, this is this is the thing where there's a lot of subtext here, and maybe it's something that is more obvious with distance and hindsight. And it is something that I think I think Sophia has acknowledged it in interviews. I don't think Francis ever really has. But she's talked about how one of the reasons why he cast her in that emergency rather than hiring, um, was it Annabella Sorio was the, the, the candidate that yeah. I think Paramount really pushed in uh, Winona Ryder's Dead. The reason why he hired her was because apparently he had modeled the character on mm. her very intentionally. He had a lot of her observations, a lot of her dialogue comes from Sophia herself. And Sophia herself has kind of made the connection. She's talking about The Virgin Suicides, her own uh, first film as director, and how much of that was informed by the passage of, of her brother Gio, uh, Gio mm. Coppola. 
um, who died in a, a tragic speedboat accident in 1986 um, involving, uh, is it Ryan O'Neill's son was driving the speedboat and he was working uh, with Coppola on gardens, wasn't it? Is gardens it garden? of Stone. Gardens of Stone. Um, and he obviously, he, he was dropped out and he was recast from the movie. Um, and I think Sophia has said that like as a family unit, we, how do, well, first of all, how does any family unit re- react to something like that? But we didn't know how to react to that. And I look at that movie that's about, you know, it's, you know, it's got all the mob stuff in there because it's Godfather Part 3. It's got all this religious stuff in there because that's something that has always interested, like, my dad. So, you know, and it's a story about a father who cannot protect his child, mm-hmm. starring the director's child. There's also that part in it with the absolution part that I always felt that was about definitely about his son where he's yeah. like saying you know about Fredo he's like God it's God's will it was a terrible accident kind of thing and yeah. I, I, I feel that's from genuinely from Francis Ford Coppola like from the heart there for sure like yeah and I think that's a lot of it is in that so I think like if it's a very difficult situation to be put in I think um, yeah. and but I also think like you know nepotism like don't get me wrong I can't stand it <laughs> As a working class girl, I can't stand it normally. But I do think in this instance, it wasn't a case of this is her star making moment because this is not what she actually wanted to do. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's more thrust upon her than anything. Not saying that she didn't have help in her career as a director from being the daughter of one of the most famous directors in the world. But, you know, she's proven... uh, time and time again she's proven everybody wrong with like how individual she is and and what an amazing and important voice she is herself but um yeah in short nepotism bad but this time maybe okay (laughs) and well i'll I'll say for nepotism like like um i'm I'm a darren school friend and that's why i'm here (laughs) (laughs) and the podcast is very much the richer for it i Um, support (laughs) (laughs) but like and again, like we, we should note here that like even at the time as it was ha- like, this is one of the things where like as, as Sophia, she's done, she's talked about it. And it's like at the time we didn't know how to react to it. And it isn't just that like the movie was released and everybody was caught off guard. Like you have, I think, Eleanor uh, Coppola, um, Francis's wife, Sophia's mother, is like she's written. She wrote an article for Vogue where she said, and I'll find the quote here because I, I want to actually quote it rather than um, kind of like paraphrasing it. But it's. Well-meaning people tell me I'm permitting a form of child abuse, she wrote in Vogue during filming, that she is not ready, not trained for what is being asked of her, and that in the end she will be fodder for critics' bad reviews that could scar her for years. They also tell me that Francis can't afford to take a chance that would weaken his work at this point in his career. And you have this idea that, like, when the first things to leak out of, and this is this is very much like, why, why are we complaining about Sophia and why aren't we complaining about the, the male members mm. of the cast? Um, and it's very much like, as soon as Paramount itself got an impression that the movie was in trouble or not going to make deadlines or anything like that, you started seeing preemptive press leaks before anybody had seen the movie remarking that Sophia was bad. And you started getting reports that one of the reasons why the movie was being pushed back from Thanksgiving to December was because they needed to do ADR to re-record all of her lines. And apparently it's come out since that apparently there's less ADR than you would think in there. But, like, but also there much- was just the genuine feeling of love for Winona Ryder as well. And I think that can't be discounted as well because 
there was a fanaticism around her at the time. She was so hot and she had come off the back of success after success. Like, and she was becoming more and more famous. And as this kind of move from indie darling to like mainstream box office attention. And I think that was a lot of what fans were displeased about because they were like, we got robbed of seeing Winona Ryder in that role. And I, I, yeah, I get that, but you know, I'm on Pauline Kael's side. She said she was, you know, had a lovely and unusual presence and that she gave the film a breath of life. And I really think that, genuinely. I could go along with that, maybe. It, it was the, the, definitely... just wasn't a 1990 performance. Un, unusual. <laughs> it wasn't a late 80s, early 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, yeah. Well, what's, what's the line from Entertainment Weekly's own Gleberman who wrote that she brought, and again, this is a very 90s review from a male film critic, a ripe adolescent sexiness to the film. That's the, those reviews aren't hadn't gone away. That's not the nineties. No, well, yeah, yeah, it is, but they, what, they exist still. still. Have you read the Have you read <laughs> yeah. the New Yorkers review of as, uh, Incredibles Two? Um, uh, I have, yeah. Uh, well, he likes big butts, and he cannot lie, even if uh, they're you know drawn ones. Reviewers <laughs> cannot deny. Apparently, sorry, his characters no, can't help it. They were just drawn that way. His, refer, <laughs> his reference to her teenage sexuality isn't as bad as the character of Vincent in this, who's like. Especially eight-year-olds. <laughs> oh yeah, that um, line is that knocked me out. What a line! I was like, like, this film is just wild from the jump. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of remarkable that it mostly hangs together considering all of this. Like, it's, yeah. yeah. But then I do wonder about just with the Winona of it all. I do wonder then about when Winona went off to work finally with Francis Ford Coppola on Dracula. Yes. Was she being unfairly punished? by Francis Ford Coppola when they have that scene that Keanu Reeves, they were saying that like Winona Ryder is being insulted by all the, the male cast members. He wanted them to shout at her yes. like, and Keanu Reeves said he refused to do it. And, you know, he said, leave her alone. She's really young. And she got quite upset about it. And I always wonder in the back of my mind, I was like, was that Francis just being a pig to Winona Ryder on purpose? I don't Probably. know. Can't, yeah, cannot rule that out, to be mm. fair. But then Winona Ryder goes shoplifting and she's never seen again for 20 years. So. I know, which, I mean, my God, like... It's, oh, yeah, yeah, al- yeah. it's almost as if there's some linking pattern here. Know, These right? actors <laughs> who we're discussing who are unfairly maligned. Speaking of things- actors who are discussing, Bridget Fonda is worth mentioning. And only and I haven't looked it up, but I, I similar to we were talking earlier about underlining that Bridget Fonda's in it, because Bridget Fonda is like an absolute favourite of mine from when I was younger. Um, but also like also a second generation Hollywood star which feels like Coppola yes, oh indeed yes indeed yeah. feels like Coppola kind of like cover it's like hey you don't mind when I do nepotism for the hey give Henry Fonda a shout and see was like, yeah. yeah you don't mind when I do nepotism for Fonda yeah uh, sorry yeah. but like I always worry anytime an actress isn't in something for a good few years you always think of that arsehole in prison Harvey Weinstein had something to do with it and I didn't check his her filmography respect there's a Miramax film in there in 2011 or 2010 I hope not but I I, I, I always worry about those things no matter what the actress is like Maria Savino or Cameron Diaz or whoever it is or even Annabelle Sura herself yeah, yeah, like, sure, yeah, exactly very, that, yeah. very graphically had a, very exclusively yeah. Yeah. yeah I do so I hope that's not the case but I, I haven't I haven't checked I think I she mean, said she just wanted to stop yeah and like she wasn't comfortable Brown, anymore was it, maybe? Yeah. but I, I mean Jackie Brown is possibly the, the the person my sister always says that is exactly who I always was was that character in, in Jackie <laughs> Brown and I never Lewis. know to take that as a compliment or not but when she's like all I want to do is get down to watch TV and if I could do that for a job I was like hang on a sec <laughs> I feel seen well done, Jen. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I feel seen for the first time since I saw that child clinging to Sophia Coppola. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> moment for representation. Well, I mean, yes, and, and Jen is entirely right. I, I kind of had the same inkling myself, so I snuck off to the fact machine to check. But yeah, Fonda announced her retirement in 2001. Like, she was offered the lead role in Ally McBeal and turned it down because she was like, no, I'm done. Um, 2001? What's that like? Yeah, yeah, so like, okay. Do you, is, sorry, who is she? Is she the journalist? Who, yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Um, like so, like, and again, it's not necessarily well, she the most was great. Yeah, like, like, very kind of um, uh, like a great sort 1940s of nineteen forties journalist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, she has a book on journalism. No, wait, no, she has a camera. It's like, yeah, she has a camera on top of a book. There was that was a weird. Relationship. I don't know. If she, did she write any of the stories that the spin in newspapers were about? They're spinning <laughs> the spin newspaper newspapers. <laughs> Yes. George Lucas uh, uh, did for the first one. I don't know. If, I don't know if he did it for the third one or if he was like too busy planning um, like <laughs> Phantom Menace, the masterpiece that would Actually, be. Interesting enough, when you mentioned Rocky earlier, there's a scene in the film where when Al wakes up from the diabetic coma, uh, Michael, and I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if uh, Talia Shear was sitting there? There's one thing I want you to do for me. And she said one word to him. Win. And then there was a bell. <laughs> Incredible linking to uh, Rocky Three, I think was it. Uh, Hoo-ha! Also, Al Pacino looks like that in that hospital bed where he has the little the drip, the nasal drip. Always, yeah. He looks like that meme of the gorilla that's in the hospital bed. Because yes. <laughs> what's going on with Al Pacino's hair in this film? It's not like I don't Why think that's thought that was the look. I don't think that would have been Michael, though. Like, if he's going no, old school, he would have, you know, kind of greased his hair back. I don't think he would have gone full 90s no, cool no, brush look no. like that Al Pacino had no. gone on. Do you want to take a look no. at, sorry, just the end of Bridget Fonda's career to make everybody feel evening. sad? Oops, sorry. Um, oh, sorry. Um, so 1999 is Lake Placid, which is a good one, I think. South of Heaven, yes. West of Hell, Delivering Milo, Monkey Bone, Kiss of the Dragon, which is Jet Li. And her last film is 2001, Val Bazzini's The Whole Shebang. That's her last role today from 2001. That's depressing. Which is a romantic comedy starring Stanley Tucci, Bridget Fonda and Giancarlo Gianni. Oh no, wait. So wait, she teamed back up with Stanley Tucci because my favourite Bridget Fonda film is It Could Happen to You and Stanley Tucci, I think, plays her horrible ex-husband who steals her macadamia nuts um, no. <laughs> from her apartment and it cost her a, very, a lot of money. She's always talking about, I love that film. If you ever do, the, if this film ever lands on the 250, that's, I am the person to talk about it because I adore it with Nicolas Cage and Bridget Fonda, an amazing film, a great rom-com. They have a strange kind of relationship because he's like flirting with her at the party. They end up going home together and she's like, I love you, don't you love me? (laughs) (laughs) It's like, get me some water. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to get you some water. Yeah, yeah. It's like, let's talk about like our our relationship. (laughs) And I love the way after like she nearly gets her throat slit, he just hits her on the ass as she's running out the door to safety in the bedroom. Like, (laughs) Who's the monsters, Jen? (laughs) He really is a gentleman, to be fair. I don't I don't imagine why Michael had a problem with the possibility of his daughter marrying her. Um, But yeah, and, and again, like the. I can't, by the way, you mentioned the idea of like Rocky Three. Worth noting that like at a certain stage, Paramount were considering going ahead without any of the cast and crew of the original, and they did consider making a Godfather Three starring Sylvester Stallone. Please, 
I still want to see that. Sorry. You, <laughs> or Stop by My Mom Will Shoot Us Up. But didn't he do a gangster film? What was yeah. the last night? I know, he did Oscar. Remember Oscar was, I think, like the Oscar, year after that's the one. this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, somewhat yes, named yes. for all of the awards it didn't win, unfortunately. Um, but yes, it. yeah, no, they were considering like they couldn't get the cast and crew back. And in fact, they couldn't get Robert Duvall back because they wouldn't, they were so stingy. Apparently that was so unf- that's unforgivable, and so the gap bad. that leaves yeah. upsetting, like very upsetting. And who, like I'm, I'm sorry, but the replacement for like Winona Ryder is Sophie Capaldi. And people complain about that, and nobody complains about George Hamilton. Like I mean, <laughs> no. like, that's exactly. like getting no, Jimmy Tarbrook to do the gig. Like for God's sake, what were they thinking? It is like bizarre. Um, Where's Tom Hagen? Use idiots. I, I, Dead apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, still waiting for the phone call on the other end. How like the, much could it? Like, it's absolutely unforgivable. It honestly is. Like, like how much, what he is doing? How much could Robert, much could Robert de Valfisa be cost? Yeah, exactly. Well, what could he have asked for? <laughs> well, you couldn't go back to his agent and say, like, maybe not that much, but like. <laughs> Just to we'll get a still, bit more than we'll scale. Still give him like a <laughs> good Robert Duval wage, like, and he doesn't want to miss out yeah. on this. We don't want to miss out on him. We'll make this work. Instead, listen, George Hamilton to do it for peanuts. Let's get him in here. Pauline Kale's description of George Hamilton he looks like a man who's constantly riding in the back of a limo, but has no idea where he's going. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Outstanding. Very true. But like the thing with Duval is that like according to Paramount and according to Coppola, Duval wanted the same salary as Al Pacino, which is five million dollars, which is quite a lot back then. It's like a he was never going to get buy that. you a quarter. Yeah. It'll buy you like Mel Gibson's a, right leg. That's, that's a negotiating a, position. Yeah, yeah. And and he's he's come out since and he said, look, what I really wanted was like I would accept half of what they offered Al Pacino, um, and they were offering me a fifth. So they're offering $1 million and he said he wouldn't do it. And I kind of love that Duval in the years since, whenever they ask him, like, do you have any career regrets? Do you miss out the fact that you weren't in Godfather Part 3? You know, Francis Ford Coppola said that he's really sad that you weren't there. And, you know, he thinks that you're one of the reasons that the movie isn't as definitive as the first two. Do you share that regret? He's like, nope. (laughs) Should have paid me my money. (laughs) You should have paid him his money. I'm like... Duval is the secret smoke show of The Godfather. I went back, yes. I watched one, um, the first one in the cinema, in the re-release um, for the anniversary and was like, is it my age now that I'm actually drawn to Robert Duval? But then I oh, felt same. justified because Marion Keyes said on Twitter the same thing. And I was like, yeah. look, this is a mark of maturity <laughs> that we're now drawn to Duval the magic of Duval. And then so Ryan Key has also that? commented on the fact that he had a mistress in the second one, which I'd forgotten <laughs> as well. Like, Catting around. Yeah. Tom Hagen can't have a mistress. He's Tom Hagen. He has but also, time for that where's business. that lucky wagon? <laughs> <laughs> Jen, I think the only time you have to worry is when you start going maybe Fredo. That's when you know you've gone too far. Yeah. I mean, just actually say though, like I know John Casal gets that kind of quiz question thing of, you know, being five performances and best, best part. And it's a footnote to a career that I think is almost forgotten in some ways like the performances are not necessarily the as Fredo particularly in the second film is because I watched the three of them recently like just to build up because I'm a professional <laughs> uh, and it's a sensational heartbreaking desperate performance yeah. like um, when he's when he's when Al Pacino's admonished him in the second film you know at at the lake house and like, he's rocking the chair like, like that's a baby that, that's the way Pop wanted he's like it's not the way I want it and he hops up out of the chair half up he can't even get up out of the chair so he's just going to fall back down to it and it just makes you like, and like see, the banana the, daiquiri scene of yes, just like yes. knowing that he's portrayed his brother but still kind of going well, I regret it a bit now because he's cool and we're hanging out like it's just that <laughs> yeah. deep sadness and regret in his face like it's just he couldn't enjoy that daiquiri 
<laughs> we would have, we were denied so many John Casale performances. Oh, well. What was that moment Andrew said the bit where he's like, I want to get a real drink, and you're like, Is he looking for a banana daiquiri? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll a glass of champagne later on. It's like, let's see if I can get a real drink. <laughs> and he's like, uh, daiquiri? Banana daiquiri? Uh, yeah, it's amazing. In terms of kind of other stuff we kind of have to talk about, because I think Jay put a pin in this, this earlier, so it's something that we want to kind of come back to. The church stuff, which is one of the more interesting aspects, yeah. and more controversial, perhaps, among Godfather purists. I, I do think, like, I, in a weird way, because it was nominated the same year as Goodfellas, that this film actually has more in common with Casino, I think, in a lot of ways, because this whole kind of thing, no matter where you go, and wherever you go, there's a hierarchy of men. And wherever you go, there's a hierarchy of men who are deep, greedy motherfuckers. No matter what business it is, be it corporate America, Disneyland, the Vatican, anywhere. It's the exact same. And th- there's a disillusionment with Coppola in this. And certainly in the code, I can't, rem- I can't remember how explicit it is or in tone in the part three when he originally did it. I, don't, I m- couldn't imagine it's hugely different. Now, this is a man who's lived through Hollywood in the 80s. He has very strong opinions about institutions. Yeah, like, and, like, and it's, it's, like, it's very explicit. It's like Michael Corleone buying a football club. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's the Roman yeah. Abramovich of, uh, of, of uh, New York gangsters. Or the Saudi royal family. But that or, felt like yeah. that initial, what Coda starts with, with that meeting, it almost felt like um, he's now like a superhero villain like Michael is like it didn't it felt like a step above because it's now you know you're going to get into and there's a yeah map like and but also the map of the world like you're, you're, you're joining the biggest untouchable family forever you know the church like it just felt like hench it kind of a villainous a, like story that's what it felt like it didn't feel it didn't have the kind of subtlety obviously as the other two and that's so if he's starting with that you're going from the jump this is a very different style yeah. of film but even like the, the, the idea of legitimate money versus illegitimate money, like there's any difference whatsoever in terms of how money has moved around the world. Like, like the idea that the money going to the Vatican is any different than the the, the numbers in the local New York They're neighborhood is bonkers to me. Like absolutely bonkers. Like, But are you still, because you're going up in the world in inverted commas, the money you are poured into the Vatican but like, is But like, I, I think Jen has a point with just in terms of scale, where it's like the first one opens with, look, can you beat up these people who assaulted my daughter? And can yeah. you, you know, get this baker um, just citizenship? And the second one opens with, can you pay 20 grand uh, in order to like get a casino license? And the third one opens with, so the church is $600 million in debt. Um, could you see a way <laughs> to uh, maybe just throw in some of that cash across the table? Um like there, there is very much yeah, a sense of like the richest man in um, in the world. Yeah. yeah, I feel like that Cospicino or Michael is moving into the uh, the real estate business. He might have inadvertently caused the Celtic Tiger in a future uh, <laughs> kind of uh, it's got a scenario. <laughs> yes, which yeah. is a real company, by the way. Like it really exists. Like uh, this yeah. is the thing we talked about. We talked about Godfather Part One, but like this is the thing where Coppola was talking to Charlie Bloodhorn who was the head of Paramount Studios he owned Gulf and Western in the 70s he was the guy like to get a sense yeah. of who he is he's the guy who's going to be played by Bern Gorman in the making of the Godfather uh, miniseries on oh, that uh, shoulder I'm dreading absolutely dreading well, hey look at least it doesn't starve Army Hammer anymore I was just yeah, going to say that at least we're saved though. from that who, who was Army playing? Army Hammer was going to be Al Ruddy oh who's he wasn't going to play Coppola that would be an upgrade sorry 
Um, oh, do Evans you know who would be a good, good Bob Evans? Okay. Tom Cruise. I know it would be like. But isn't Jake Gyllenhaal going to be Bob Evans? But is he, is he Bob Evans in something else? Yes, there's a movie. There's like me and what? there's Marty and the Godfather, which is like the movie they're making. Jake Gyllenhaal and, is too tall. Hang on, there's a movie as well. Yeah. It's it's not about the it's it's not about the Godfather though. The movie that Jake Gyllenhaal is doing about Bob Evans. No, Sebastian Stan, I think might be a good. Um, okay, you guys continue talking. I'm going to go on the fact machine and check. Andrew, continue. You should throwing have got Sophia Coppola Evans. back to play a part in the uh, in the making of the Godfather. She could I be Talia Shire. That's Talia Shire. Yeah, yes. Jason Schwartzman's yeah. mom. Like, yeah. so Jason Schwartzman should also be in it as well. Get yes. the whole clan. Get Nick Nicholas Cage. Cage. Get out all of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? Nick, like, go meta on it. Nicholas Cage, as Don Corleone himself, um, as Marilyn Brando. I think yes. Nicholas Cage would do a very good kind of like... Um, Nicholas Cage would do a good Fredo. He'd do a good anybody. Dear yeah. God. What, what is it? What is have this... we found out? <laughs> yeah, no, we'll I... have to let the cat out. Okay, well, I'm about to let the cat out of a bag here. Oh, um, that's a nice linkage. Yeah, thank, that's a nice segue. I, I, I do my best work under pressure. Yeah, no, um, Jen is, is kind of half wrong there there is the miniseries the offer is about the making of the godfather and it stars uh, matthew good That's... matthew good is playing bob evans in that and uh who's miles teller playing again so we can avoid him already <laughs> um but they are there is a blacklist script francis and the godfather which is being redeveloped by sam levinson um and it oh will god appear- no oh yes come on tell me you don't who's sam levinson again um, euphoria. euphoria and also malcolm and marie for example mm. um, and they've already cast. Apparently, it's so it's uh, Elizabeth Moss is joining uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Oscar okay. I Isaac. love both of them, so that's yeah. really cruel can to some, hear that. Can something literally anything exist without Oscar Isaac in it? Like anything? Just but my thing. life doesn't exist off. with him in it. My personal I life. Know, so Jen, you've got so many projects. There's like literally every film in the world I, is I in. I love the idea that he's going to pop from playing Francis Ford Coppola to starring in a Francis Ford Coppola movie. Tell me that yeah, isn't like a nice Oscar. A lot idea. of work though. That's, that's him like doing overtime. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fair. That's and along for along with other seventeen films he has lined up this year. And Moon Knight, the event series from Marvel. He's playing Francis oh, God, stop, stop, And stop. don't forget scenes of a marriage. Don't forget he did Oh I did forget that. Uh, I've no interest in watching it. Thank I you. am now so sad that that cast sounds so good and I dislike Sam Levinson so much and I know how bad it's going to be that that's really upset me. And you're still gotta watch it. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Oscar Isaac is in a lot of kind of bad stuff. I don't think he's particularly bad in them. Or, oh, you're going to start at uh, Careful, Jay is, Jay is getting right, ready. Right, okay. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I actually do quite like him. I just wish... I thought he was yeah. on the Tom Hardy no, scale. Oh God, no, Jesus, no. This, you know, you know, he can, he can, he can speak, for, for at least for starters. Like. So yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal um, is Robert Evans. I can see that. Jake is great. Um, like what you want is you want proper nightcrawler Jake with the eyes yes but I also don't want to fancy Bob Evans <laughs> too late Jen he'll do like yeah, it's t- already sealed the deal it's <laughs> happening 2022 it's happening he'll do <laughs> go he'll with do, it he'll do Okja Robert Evans <laughs> oh that that is yeah. it yes yeah. that's more it <laughs> But anyway, sorry, we, we got onto this by talking about Charlie Bloodhorn, who's playing played by Byrne Gorman in the Offer miniseries. Byrne Gorman being one of those great actors who has the perfect name for the kind of roles. I have no idea played. who he is, so um, it is the perfect If you've name. seen a henchman or a creepy dude in a movie and thought, this guy looks like somebody who's going to be a character actor for the next 50 years, that is Byrne Gorman. He's the henchman. How, how, how do you spell that? Oh, yeah. um, 
B-U-R-N space G-O-R-M-A-N. Um, did it without checking my notes. Amazing. Um, uh, Andrew, Andrew's writing that note down oh, to Google that later. guy. Yeah, there we go. He's that guy. Yeah, okay. It's one of those great names matches faces kind of yeah, thing. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. All right, fine. Not, I would, I'm not overly wild about him, but yeah, fine. Um, I really want to see a Byrne Gorman romantic comedy. I feel like that would have a very particular energy to Burn it. Byrne Gorman as Roger Corman. Uh, there you go. That, that began that here. For free. In something about Mormons. <laughs> <laughs> We occasionally discuss okay, things on the sorry, podcast stop. that become real. <laughs> we, like we, we, know, we talked about the Orlando Calrissian hip opera, yeah, which then became a thing with Childish Gambino. Yeah, we talked yeah. about like Nolan and Oppenheimer, and that kind of became a thing, which I'm very proud of. Yeah, like we will that into existence. Um, so yeah, you never know. This this could happen. So Burn Gorman as Roger Gorman in something about Mormons. I want royalties if that happens. Like I want not point not per two percent. Well, I I just tell you, we didn't get any royalties from <laughs> from uh, podcasts. It's getting so, better than even team. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but uh, yeah, so so basically how we got onto this is talking about uh, international immobiliary. If we had a legal team, they would just be trying to not get us sued. <laughs> yeah, they'd be yeah. too busy. Ben Affleck's been on about you again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Counter sue. Counter sue. Yeah. <laughs> But um, so what we're talking about was Immobiliary, International Immobiliary, which is a real company, Societe Generale Immobiliary. And it's based on um, Charlie Bloodhorn, the owner of Gulf and Western, the owner of Paramount during the 70s, the guy who Coppola worked with making Godfather and Godfather Part 2. And apparently he told him all these stories about what was happening inside the Vatican Bank. And that's why this movie is dedicated to Charlie Bloodhorn, who died several years before it came out. But like, yeah, apparently he sold um, again. Good, good for good for Bloodhorn. Good for Bloodhorn. He managed to, in 1968, exchange a next to worthless Commonwealth United paper in exchange for a 10.5 percent interest in the Vatican's real estate and development empire, whose holdings, including Watergate, were among the largest in the world. Um, so yeah, so that that is all loosely inspired by by fact. But Jay, you mentioned you've read the book uh, in God's yes. name: an investigation of the murder of Pope John Paul yeah. I. So would you like to and walk, us, into that walk well. us through that with the red twine serial? Well, uh, it's, I I read it about twenty years ago, so uh, you know red twine isn't going to do it. But it is a, a vast conspiracy about John Paul the first. I think it is, is it? who was in as I think he was only a pope for a very short time before he died mysteriously. Some say natural causes, some say poisoned uh, because he wanted to reform the church from, from various kind of shady, corrupt kind of uh, practices. 33 days. Yes. Yeah, there, there you go. Um, and the whole conspiracy surround that, that he was poisoned, basically. It offers a kind of mad hat, but compelling, uh, perhaps and probably, but a selective kind of reading of it. But I, I, I could see it. I mean, you know, it doesn't it doesn't seem unreasonable for the Catholic Church to do bad things. Let's shall we say in Ireland, um, you know, I, I I could see them killing the Pope. I could see them killing me if I keep talking. Uh, <laughs> It'd be great for the podcast. Uh, but no, it, 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 it's a good. It, it's well read, or it's well written, and it's a rollicking good read. Um, so I'd recommend it. Recommend it. Uh, he's a good writer, but but how much of it's real? How much of it's it was in that kind of time where conspiracy theories were properly kind of kicking off, you know. Yeah. Um, Post Kennedy kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah, heading exactly. into like Oliver Stone, Chris Carter, and then yeah, yeah, it is in that era. But I, I, I could, I could buy it. Um, 
Absolutely buy it. I mean, you know, it's a Catholic Church, man. It's it's nice to see something like this that isn't the Kennedy assassination. Like I, I love I know, the right? Irishman. I love the Irishman, and I love its alternate kind of history and its kind of trip through the alternate in the United Do States. You like Hoffa? Um, I have a sauce with the character or the movie. Movie. Uh, I haven't. Which I movie? want to see it again. The the Hoffa starring Jack Nicholson. Directed I have seen it. Yeah, I've rewatched no. it. Uh, it's good. Oh, okay. I, I uh, need to rewatch it. It's one of those weird films that you watch from Hollywood and Reds and similar, where it's like they left kind of socialist kind of films in Hollywood. <laughs> like it's so rare that like on budgets, like uh, Reds yeah, is a bonkers one. They beat you one and uh, and Hoffa as well. The Mame script before he went nuts. Uh, or maybe he was always nuts, Mamet, but it, it was uh, certainly before his kind of overt, weird Trumpism kind of era. Um, but yeah, it's 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 decent. Like Nicholson being Nicholson, if so, it's as good or as bad as you can take that performance. And like, it, I like that the movie is a conspiracy thriller that like is about like the church, which is not something that you normally see in these kinds of movies, except for the Da Vinci Code, I guess. When Ron Howard does it. I feel like, the, okay, well, we don't have a spare two hours to talk about the genius of Ron Howard's Da Vinci Code, which is like, what if you made a James Bond movie for your 60-year-old uncle? I've never seen any of the Da Vinci Codes because, There's, you know, you know oh, the much of a terror to, campaign you, I've you kept You need to Ron see Howard. Hugh McGregor in, in oh, the second I, one. Do I? Oh, it's, yeah. yes. <laughs> there, like That's all I can say because I did go to the cinema to see it with my mother and my sister and we were all stunned into silence by Hugh McGregor's performance. Uh, that's oh, all wow. I can say about in, that. In a good way? In a, a way, way, in just an in unforgettable first, way that we still talk one? about it. That's the second one. Second, second one, Angels, Angels and, Demons. and Demons. So do we have to watch the first one so it can follow the no. ridiculously complicated plot? <laughs> <No. laughs> Was your man Bellamy? In Was the, in the first one, yeah. yes. He was the weird um, celibate kind of monk assassin in the first one yeah um so you know and and like i mean i have a huge soft spot for inferno which is like inferno features action set pieces that i'm not kidding here consists of like tom hanks being menaced by a drone in a public park and the climax of the movie consists of tom hanks trying to stop a bunch of young assassins from splashing around in like a a waist deep pool like the, this the, is your the, god Ron Howard used to talk about this here. This is like yeah, no, this is the Ron Daddy Ron. Dad, Jesus this is like Christ. pure daddy Ron. Is, like, it, <laughs> is it is it as competent as I've heard? <laughs> it's it even is, more competent even more than com- you could imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is it beige? <laughs> you bet it's beige. Um, there's even some light browns in there. I've I've read the Da Vinci Code on a, an unfortunate flight from uh Sydney to Dubai, I think. I read the whole thing on a like ten and a half hour flight. And I honestly, halfway through the flight, I nearly tried to jump out the door. Uh, Trying to throw it out the window. <laughs> not me, not at the book, me. It's like, just uh, just no. stop reading. <laughs> Close the book. Seen, was, I just bought it. I just felt like I had to finish it. Yeah. I don't know what was wrong with it. I wouldn't, wouldn't do that now. That was younger me. Idiot um, that I was. I've heard that the Holy Blood and the Holy Grail on which all of that stuff is based is actually okay. Um, somebody once recommended that to me, but I haven't read it. Um, oh, the, the the original kind of inspiration that got yes. turned into the pulpy kind of like trashy adventure kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but like I I do love that again. This is this is the scaling up that Jen mentioned, where like in the first movie you have like Tom Hagen go west and he messes with Hollywood. In the second movie, it's like okay, we mess with the United States senator. And in the third movie, you have Michael literally racing against time to save the Pope. The Pope. <laughs> There's a sequence where they pause an opera, and I think I think the line is like we we better, we better be too late notice- to save the Pope. 
yeah, we better notify the Holy Father and hope it's not too late, which is an honest to goodness line in like the Godfather coda. I kind of love that the movie's like, what do, what do people want from a gangster movie? A plot where Michael races to save the Pope. A plot where a nun comes in with a cup of tea for the dying Pope, like the dead Pope <laughs> in his bed. Like, that's... The dead Pope is the, the third and final season of the Jude Law, uh, Paco Sorrentino. Oh, don't. It's that's so good. I love that show. Uh, the... Don't even joke. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was the... Um, that, uh, well, there's a few versions of what happened, but one of them is, yeah, the, the, the sister kind of like arriving there with the tea and finding that it hadn't been touched um, and he, it, and that he was wearing his glasses. His glasses were still on and the glasses weren't the weapon, um, <laughs> <laughs> which which I love, by the way, again. Yeah, it's like, what, what, what is it with suicide missions like the, at the end of the second film where they kill uh, Hyman Roth? like yeah i just run up and shoot at the airport and die it's like why are you paying somebody like to uh that th- those scenes though that that's a gorgeous scene because it looks like it's actually newsreel like it yeah looks it does like it's really bad. i just don't understand how do you say do you want to kill somebody how do you do it just in front of police uh just shoot them uh, just shoot them it's grand be a bunch, but like get away yeah you'll be fine just run just turn around I, and run yeah you're thinking about it now and it doesn't make any sense but just do it it's going to be fine really we've we we we've done... just just take your man's glasses off and stab him in the neck it'll be thousands grand, like... of these yeah. We've, yeah. we've all done it like tom he's, yeah. he's, he's he did he did he did one last exactly. week like, i snapped the like handle that. off my glasses a couple of months ago just cleaning them so i you know i wouldn't be like uh i wouldn't be wild about this assassination <laughs> just pick up a chair and hear a minute I, I do love the idea of like trying to stab him with the glasses and discovering that they're too blunt <laughs> yeah or, or just plastic what if his glass are cheap like yeah, i did, did uh, they must have done some research or they snuck into his house and sharpened his glasses i'll just sharpen his glasses <laughs> no, no. it'll be much less dramatic we want to do it all during the opera um, what, are you, what are you doing <laughs> you're doing with his kitten cutting off the but the i gotta say that i do yeah. i mean i love all the death uh, sequences, all the the murder sequences at yes. the end of this, I think they're gorgeous. I think the shadow play yeah. when you shoot in the bishop on the stairs or the priest on the stairs when the guy is falling through the air, the silhouette at the hanging, like it's so OTT. It's almost like chocolate box deaths, and I love that. Uh, the, fake, the, the fake death one where he's holding your man's hand to his neck and then kills the other yeah. guy. It's incredible. It's isn't beautiful. It? Like, but he yeah, does. Yeah. Like, I think like. You know, all the death sequences, all the murder sequences and all the Godfather films are outstanding. And I think yeah. this is no different. Yeah. I think they're really oh, poetically really. done. Like, as I said, it's like really beautifully done. Like they're luxurious, like yeah. murder sequences that you kind of, they're, they're really, they're not, they don't spare anything. They're, they're just so well done. They're so, like this is up the ante. It's very obviously operatic because of the opera, the opera. Duh, at the end but uh i i don't i i was not disappointed basically <laughs> good godfather deaths two thumbs up <laughs> even that shot at the end where two severed the, thumbs from the bottom of the steps of the uh, opera house it's like a, yes. a, a renaissance painting it and is the, they're everybody's the from uh, the rage of bull music and stuff playing over which yeah. is just gorgeous and and the silent scream as well which i believe is yes. credits walter merch you um, can hear that uh <laughs> And, well, because it draws. It's it a long hoo ha. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we screened it and discovered. Oh, I get my Oscar for that. Says yeah. <laughs> Mary's death is so genuinely affecting that, like, I, I, I can imagine that yeah. perhaps even people who didn't like her in in the role, and I would, I would kind of like, I don't know how I feel about. I would kind of 
uh, before listening to kind of Jen discuss it and maybe being sympathetic to that reading, I would have kind of uh, said that I don't think it's a good performance, but that death is is very affecting. Um, and the yeah. fact that it, like the fact that, the and that assassin been... is great at his job <laughs> like I really appreciated how like competent uh, he was he's really like Ron Howard of assassins he makes really. the twins look like fools <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like I love the bit where Vincent where like isn't there the moment where Connie's like are they as good as they look and I'm like what is she implying there and Vincent's like yeah we don't got to worry about nothing and then literally killed within minutes no man job. kills the boat Connie was distracted though she was off to Tatooine uh, like soon after like she had to go <laughs> where little binoculars looking up at anything keep eating yeah. he's looking around like I probably should stop eating this cannoli like because he's just looking at me <laughs> also that's a really weird scene I just think like watching Eli Wallach eat those cannolis is just really perverted like, there's, he keeps, there's keeps definitely an like, only fans for that like but Connie <laughs> has it like yeah. yeah what happens yeah what happens if he keeps them until after the like, he's like them they go home. afterwards yeah, exactly or like or she's just their mouth and eat eat it now or he gives like, them to his grandkids who love cannoli like do you know what I mean like there's a lot of but, options that could have happened yeah, with yeah. that um, in, in terms of like, just because Jen mentions operatic death, like it's worth noting that like Coppola makes very few changes, as we mentioned, between Three and Coda. I love that he uses an alternate cut of the glasses sequence with more blood. Like that was one of his big notes. That was his only he note. He probably sort of CGI'd his sisters in or something like, well, yeah. <laughs> I I wonder if, if, if Michael hadn't asked Vincent to betray him, would any of this stuff have happened? <laughs> It should have been there in, at the like, script writing meeting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, and it, I would probably, like to see the Slide Doors film version of him and Kay. <laughs> That's what I wanted. It, that was my film. The Jen cut, as we call it. Uh, yeah. The I mean, God yeah, Daddy. <laughs> the God Daddy. Exactly. <laughs> That's a very different film, Jen. Very different. <laughs> <laughs> That's for after hours. Um and like, it, like again, it's it's worth noting that like the, the food is such a big part of that because you got we were kind of talking about that like in terms of the cannolis like there's a really good article from Phyllis e. Richmond like written at the time in response to it. I love that people went to the Godfather Part Three and were like, I want to write articles for like the New York Times um, about the Epicure's banquet, and I want to write about like at the Washington Post and like. Uh, Paramount actually sent out menus again one gets the sense they were maybe looking at like Goodfellas and we're like how can we get some of that Goodfellas juice and it's like okay we'll send out how to cook the food from the Godfather part three but things like you know for example you know you have things like Kay like just eating bread all she eats is bread she doesn't eat any of the salami and olives and kind of like also that's like you know religious toast you know, yeah, like because her father, the Baptist or whatever, like, and yeah. then it's like you're entering into their world. So she's savaging herself on the body of Christ. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I do love the observation that Michael takes a slice of bread, looks at it as if it were a dead fish and puts it down uneaten, um, except for a token plate of spaghetti to remind the world he's Italian. The only nutritious food he consumes is orange juice. Only Vinny, the hothead. To, yeah, and it's still sweet. Only Vinny, the hothead, the bastard nephew, is a man with strong dietary convictions. Only Vinny knows how to cook. Vinny makes ganache like an angel, with that masterful flick of the thumb that turns mere dough into tiny curled shells. Jesus. Guns might make a man powerful, but cooking makes him sexy. Just That's true, me. actually. I can, I can vouch for that. <laughs> From years of gunplay and cooking. 
Mostly, mostly cooking. <laughs> it's about ninety percent. Um, all right then, and in terms of just just uh, while we're talking about the movie, while we're talking about Coda, just a list, quick run through of the changes. The big change is obviously the restructure of the opening scene. So, like the movie opens now with the scene between the Cardinal and Al Pacino, where you have that riff on the classic, you know, "You come to me on this the day that I want to give you six hundred million dollars." Um, <laughs> and it, it's that that thing you said earlier about like going from going from a an undertaker and a baker to like a senator to um a cardinal or the pope it's not a cardinal or the pope they they're they're standing in yeah for god, god. almighty yeah and, and that that's kind of like we're, we're, i guess um, you could say it's the god father yeah but but like yeah and and the idea that like that sequence like it's the first time that the 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 character goes somewhere for that scene because obviously like in one and two they're in the family homes they're in the family offices right. whereas here michael has gone to the cardinal now obviously the power and balance there is you know maybe equivalent is the suggestion but it's still he's out of his element but like i i watch that and i look at it and i wonder what coppola was thinking in the original cut putting that 40 minutes into the film Really, is it? Yeah, it's yeah. 40 minutes in before you get a character explaining the stakes. And one of the things that Coppola does when he edits 3 in Dakota is like, you talk about the movie, like one of the big complaints about 3 was the plot was difficult to understand. And like what Coppola cuts is exposition. He cuts lots of scenes of like Eli Wallach showing up and explaining what is happening to Michael and like going, ah, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> our interests conflict, but we're still friends, aren't we? Um, I'm the only person who survived that mysterious attack, but we're going to act like we're friends. And he cuts all those scenes out, but somehow the movie makes more sense, which is an yeah. interesting example of editing. Better because, flow. Yeah, just cut it down and make it more simple. Yeah. Um, and then the the closing scene because I think Jen mentioned this because mm. Jen you said you 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 would pick Coda over three because of the closing scene. What is it about the closing scene? I just like the fact that it reminded me like the Irishman. Then again, in a way, because it's about like you know you don't get the ease of death. Like death is would be a godsend literally for him. Like he would get that peace. He has no peace. He has to live with the torment of his memories, and it is he's living in a certain hell or he's in you know, limbo in that way that he can never, you know, death would be the nicer option. And I think, you know, that's just like having that, like that he's still alive and it's not the finality of him dying is 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 important. It's like, you know, like I said, like the Irishman, like leave the door open. Kind <laughs> of that sadness to it that I think is more effective. And that kind of, again, you mentioned it being almost biblical, like Cain, where Cain is kind of destined to wander the earth. Like yeah, the sins. But I think even that shot of him, the first shot of when he cuts him when he's older, the house behind him, the walls looked blackened like it was on fire at some mm. point. You know that that kind of almost the hellish kind of nature to it. The walls are kind of they look like they were grey, but they're just manky black kind of thing. Like they, like they've been set. And on he did fire actually on. say he would burn in hell before yeah. he would let. And the torment, happen. like just that torment again, like it's very personal for Coppola, like that torment of outliving your child, like. Mm-hmm. that desperation like that is just ongoing like yeah. um and, and jay anything you want to say about the ending anything uh but at the end of, like uh, i'd agree with what jen says um i do think it is personal i think it is coppola's way of as it is the dance with mary from the, the earlier scene that kind of floats into his head yeah uh and it is that 
Coppola's remembrance and the, the kind of I think the, the horror of losing a child is that you, you you always think you could have done something to prevent it or done something better or different if you only had to said something that day it wouldn't have happened that kind of torment that exists and, and the kind of catholic thing that runs yes. through a lot of Coppola's work where like as a catholic we, like again we kind of joke about it but it's true the idea that as a catholic you're raised to feel responsible and guilty for everything so the idea that this weighs on you even if you know rationally it's not your fault you couldn't have done anything yeah Sorry. oh for sure like it's you know it's the admonishment of self like yeah. Um, all right, then. So I think that about wraps it up in terms of Godfather 3 and Godfather Coda. Is there anything you guys want to say? Anything you guys uh, want to wrap up? I do want to add one thing, uh, which I've mentioned, and which I, again, I'd kind of forgotten when I'd, until I'd watched it, is uh, Donald Donnelly as Archbishop, Archbishop Gildy, who Donald Donnelly, if anybody has seen The Dead, uh, the John Huston film of Joyce, is he's Freddie Balance, the, the drunk in it, and he's absolutely sensational. Like it's one of the great drunk performances of all time. Which it, I I'm a huge fan of drunk performances in films, but particularly when you get it right, he just constantly stewed walking around the place, getting into scraps, falling over, but in a really, really Dublin weird way. Like he keeps missing the start of conversations and saying the wrong thing, and it, it's a great performance. Anyway, it's brilliant to see him here and really almost disconcerting. It's like Jesus Christ, that's Donald Donnelly, um, and it's a decent part. Like it's a solid, solid part. You know. He's right in there. Character. Like, he gets assassinated, really... so it's the ultimate badge of honor. Yeah, it's, um, a, it's a really interesting character as well. Yes, it is. Not very much so. Where, where like he's so sniveling and he's so cowardly and he's so deferential and he's so He's a slithery. terrific actor. Genuinely but, terrific but actor. Also like so manipulative and yeah. so bloodthirsty. But you can see so that, that Machiavellian kind of uh, look to him as well. Like underneath the kind of quiet, bubbling, kind of nervy persona. I, I really love him and... I like seeing actors pop up like that uh, unexpectedly. Because, again, I haven't seen the film in a long time, so I, was, I wasn't really prepared for it. <laughs> it was quite early on. It's like, yeah, it's Freddie Mullins. Uh, so I was actually just kind of stunned by it. I was like, yes, brilliant, great stuff. Yeah. And Jen, anything you want to add? Anything we haven't discussed already? Anything to be added at you? Um, I hate end on a negative, but I just wanted to say that, like... <laughs> Like the things I love about the Godfather films is like the ceremony of it and the and the way that they do ceremonies within the films, like the weddings, the The, the communion confirmation, but also like the parades, like the religious parades and like the death of Joey shows what's wrong with this because it is the ceremony. But the very ceremony parts of The Godfather has actually been corrupted by modernity because they're trying to like shoehorn in this kind of action sequence in it where Vinny like arrives on the horse and, and kills him. And it just felt jarring to me. It did, It felt more in tune with like those 90s action films than The Godfather. So I was like, the ceremony of The Godfather has been affected by modernity, which is kind of like what this film is almost kind of saying as well, which was weird. But uh, it became a metaphor in itself. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just like what, that's still one of my favorite things. And I think um, when they redo that religious ceremony on stage in the opera at the end, I think it's way more effective. Um, and I, I think that's absolutely gorgeous scene at the opera where they have um, the like lifting of the crucifixion. Like the, yeah. I, I just think that's what Francis Ford Coppola does so well. It's just that romanticism of religion. And the like Latin masses and stuff yeah. like that, which I always love. Like, I love yeah. it. I mean, yeah, and I like, and I, I mean, I do prefer Coda to to Part Three, but I do think one of the things you lose in in transitioning is you lose the big ceremony at the start. You don't get to see Michael getting his medal, which is this nice big ceremony where yeah, that's true, like, actually. And like, 
I understand why you lose it because it means that you have to wait another 20 minutes before you see Andy Garcia. The pacing of three is so messed up. It's like 20 minutes until Andy Garcia, who is nominally the co-protagonist of the movie, shows up. 40 minutes until you get a scene explaining what the plot of this movie is. But you do lose a sequence at the start with Lake Tahoe where you have, and again, maybe this is reading too much into it, but you have the body of water and the, the fade from the body of water to a fallen statue of the Virgin Mary which feels very kind of evocative of, as you mentioned, this kind of like tradition there as well. And like in terms of the the death of Joey Zaza, one of the things that's really interesting about this is that like by jumping from 1959 to 1979, which is interestingly a longer leap than the gap between uh, two and three, um, is that like you end up in this space where this takes place after the first two movies were made and you get this weird defictionalization where Joey Zaza getting killed is obviously a reference to the murdering of say Don Fanucci in the second film which is arguably an echo of the shooting of Vito Corleone in the first film but it's also evocative of like Joe Colombo who was the head of the anti the Italian Anti-Defamation League who was the mobster who was largely responsible for all the behind the scenes stuff happening on the Godfather but who was assassinated um at an Italian American pride parade it's actually shown in the Irishman um mm. that kind of sequence there and so you have this weird thing where the Godfather is not only echoing past things with from earlier films but echoing things that have happened in real life since the production of those films and folding its own kind of history into itself in a way that is very like metafictional self-aware and very interesting and i I guess yeah it's probably a bit late to throw a question out to the group but i'm gonna do it anyway the 1979 setting right so much of the godfather and the godfather part two is like this beautiful nostalgic invocation of like a lost america 1940s america in the first one 1950s and 1900s america in the second one what like the 1970s stuff here feels weirdly like not interested in like, it, but it's not because it's anachronistic it's not it's a 90s approximation or a late 80s approximation of the 70s, which is just looks like any late 80s, early 90s film. Yeah. They didn't really go all in on it. They didn't. If you no. look at like the women's clothes and the hairstyles in Atlantic City, they're not 70s. Um, if you look at Sofia Coppola's outfit in the, the first scene, um, it's not 70s. There's nothing about it that feels authentically late 70s. I'm OK with that most in part because... I think films timestamp a lot worse than they should sometimes. Yeah, and, no, I, I know what you're saying. And it does, and you know, he's go, oh, geez, there, that's, you know, with the, you know, the, the way Stranger Things does the 80s, that awful, awful, everything, everything has to be culture or it's nothing kind of thing. Uh, theme park 80s. I find both exhausting and makes it really stupid at a certain point and already looks terrible two years later kind of thing. So maybe this is the opposite end of this, perhaps, but I don't mind it. For the most part, it kind of keeps it away from that. It makes it feel fresher, weirdly, <laughs> kind of stranger kind of way. I think it's just because if you watch those films from the 70s, from the era, like if you're watching Scorsese from the 70s, mm. and it's so ingrained in my brain that this is what New York looks like in the 70s or this is what 70s America is like, that when you see it and it, it, it it's not from that time and, and then they don't kind of even inject it into it at all or it seemed like they didn't it felt weird to me because I was like but hang on a second you lived through that like and, and why aren't you which makes me bend towards why it kind of has this feeling of an 80s action film yeah. to it you know rather than the 70s yeah. the luxuriousness of the 70s where they were shooting the original I, Godfather I, I different more than it was being made I guess yeah exactly yeah 
it feels it feels like it's set when it was made. That's it exactly. Yeah, it does, yeah. You yeah. could tell me this was eighty nine ninety and I would believe it. Like that yeah. sort of thing. Like the the most seventies thing is the China Bowl, the sequence yeah. where he gets in the car outside the China Bowl, which is itself a reference to Al Pacino getting in the car in the first one. But like that's the only part that feels like it's not set in the modern day which is mm. I, I, I guess to Jen's point like you lived through this I guess maybe Coppola is like I know what 1979 looks like in Cambodia uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, <yes>. maybe <laughs> I'm just gonna assume New York didn't really change since then um, alright then and, and Andrew anything you want to say anything we haven't discussed already about the film anything jumping out at you no no, no, no not really I was just thinking that the, that the casino is like one of Trump's um, Atlantic City. Yeah, yeah that, that it's in that it's 1991. <laughs> and that, yeah, sorry. Um, that loss making casino. <laughs> yeah, who makes the only one who, who loses money with a casino? <laughs> Idiot. In in a place yeah. where gambling is legal. Yeah, it was, probably somebody that's eights. stealing money for pay off with her debts. I'd say. <laughs> Um, possibly all right then all right then so thank you very much uh jen and jay thank you andrew for completing our godfather season well, I, I can't wait till we get to the other three films of the 1990 best picture uh <laughs> list yes. Dance of Wolves. what no. else is there i can't remember <laughs> awakening I'm not, there, no i'm not suggesting no are, neither of them. ghost wait hold on okay well because I, I had already i'd already planned this out to be like our stealth season like people weren't going to realize for like 10 years that this was a thing we were doing so I was i'm thinking, on like, you buddy ep- Episode 356 would be the two of us discussing Ghost. Uh, episode 434 would be the, the four of us kind of discussing Awakenings. And then, you know, 512 oh God, would Awakenings. be... Yeah, Robert De Niro. That kind of uh, best Robin picture Williams. film. Oh, that, nominations. nominations. I'll tell you something about Awakenings, right? It's, it's not a good film at all, really. However, it's the first film that made me cry my eyes out. Oh, did you not? Did you not seen ET by that point? I hate ET. What? I hate ET. Okay, get me off the get off the podcast. Get me off the podcast. Cut it. Cut, cut I didn't like as a kid. I couldn't. I I found it awful. I, Do you I, know my friend actually passed out when she first saw ET because she thought he was so ugly, and that makes me laugh every time. Like it's just ridiculous. <laughs> but also, just to mention as well, Javier Bardem did an interview where he said his first childhood crush was on ET, and I also love that as well. Like it's so good. What? That's worse than Vinny's first cousin. Thing, like, the <laughs> yeah. like. Is it is it ET or is it ET in drag? Lady ET, Lady ET, which is what I look like if I went on Love Island. Yes. That's what I always say. <laughs> Can I? I don't know if I should say this, but it, it, it's. Oh, go ahead. We've done it all. Literally opened with what's the first cousin. I found out this and very like disturbing. There's an Italian porno with like ETs. Um, Maybe I, uh, that's what Javier Bajans. I think so. <laughs> Very liberal on the continent. Um, I will. I will I say though, a given the long enough timeline, everything with, there's a porno of everything yeah. in a long enough timeline. Like, Very true. I, I, I love Jay, Jay's theory is that if you wait long enough, everything will be rehabilitated by Twitter and turned into a porno. And a porno. <laughs> I would believe that to be true. Is it the finger that glows? Um, that's. I was just going to say that. What's he doing with that finger? <laughs> um, I, there's so many jokes I'm not making now because uh, no. I'm trying to not, kind of find what is the next latent demand. It's like let's just make this ET porno and hopefully somebody will like it. Maybe everybody likes <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, like there's an alternate universe where the front page of Pornhub looks very different because of that porno. Um, uh, yeah, or you know, like uh, the Spielberg canon of Shaven Ryan's privates and stuff cookies, like that. By the way, <laughs> that's why it looks like this. Her. Oh God! So yes, so the plan is like the stealth season will be episode 356 will be ghosts 434 will be awakenings and 512 will be dances with wolves 
I'm hoping I'd be dead by 5.12. The podcast will continue forever. Uh, or until morale improves. So. Um, Alright. We, we can just do this with uh, an AI. Yes, we could just program it. I think so. It. Yeah, I think I, that's it. Yeah. I probably said all the words at this yeah. stage, in fairness. Uh, <laughs> all right. So what we, normally do the end, what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something, something they're enjoying at the moment. It could be something related to the movie, something unrelated to the movie, just something that brings you joy in this world. So to give Jay and Jen a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. Um, the only movie that I could think of um, that kind of matches this sort of... Um, it's not a good movie, but I like it. Sort of, I, 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 idea that 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 kind of I thought of which which Godfather Tree, which is not quite what Godfather Tree is, but it's certainly Godfather Tree is certainly a movie that 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 doesn't have a very good reputation, and a movie another movie that doesn't have a good reputation that I really like is uh, Toys, and I don't care what anybody says. I think it's good. Um, and it's just a lot of fun. No, and I, the, not, the, 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 and 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 another Robin Williams. Um, uh, oh, by the way, sorry, I'll talk a little bit more about toys. It's got like LL Cool J, like like dressing <laughs> in, in in like camouflage, yeah, ble- yeah, blending yeah. into things. He's a soldier um, in it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I've seen toys. It isn't in my. There's camp. so many scenes like 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 there there's like the shrinking room where they're testing out like uh, vomit, like fake vomit. Is this Barry Levinson or it something? Could be. It? Yeah, I think so. Bring all the Levinsons back together. I, I'm certain I've seen this a lot. So long, now we've long, like long said long. how much we hate Sam Levinson. I can say we <laughs> love Barry. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's your fault. It's very nepotism in Hollywood. Yeah. It's very yeah. visually imaginative and kind of bonkers movie and. Um, you saying Awakenings, Jay, r- r- reminded me. I, I, um, I wasn't going to recommend it, but I'll recommend The Fisher King. I think it's better than um, uh, Awakenings. If I would imagine it's better than Awakenings. Again, it's another film I haven't seen in a long time. It's kind of got the 90s nostalgia. Until episode 356. <laughs> and it's a bit, kind of a, a yes. visually kind of imaginative movie, as you kind of expect with Terry Gilliam. Um, Particularly in that era as well, yeah. like really affecting performances. Like I, I actually, I think it does a better job as some of the stuff that that uh, Awakenings tries to do. I didn't hate Awakenings at all, like, but but it it, it yeah, it doesn't reach the same heights. I think it's not quite. It's not Patch Adams. <laughs> or no, Jack. No. Or Jack. Or Jack. <laughs> Jack to unite all the core themes. I love that we've spent every every Francis Ford Coppola episode talking about Jack. It's just the center of gravity. It's um, one of those how does this exist kind of uh, moments. <laughs> Somehow it's worse. It's like the reverse Godfather 3. Somehow it's worse than its reputation, which is I bet you can recut it and it'll be reclaimed. I think <laughs> people will reclaim anything. Did honestly. They do the cut where you what you 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 remove Bill Cosby. And, uh, he's in that, isn't he? Yes, yes, he is. <laughs> Jesus America's dad. Um, oh, Jesus. America's oh. ghost dad. <laughs> He's dead to us now. Yeah. Um, that was nice. I appreciate that. Sorry. <laughs> so, Jen, what would you recommend for listeners? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, well, I was going to recommend because we're talking about Sofia Coppola. Obviously, I have to. Um, and because it's a film like Godfather 3 is ostensibly a film about fathers and daughters. And this was another Sofia Coppola uh, feature that was panned unnecessarily and unfairly. I'm going to recommend Somewhere. 
And I think this film has only grown in my estimation over the years since like 2010, since I first saw it, where I went to the Cork Film Festival to see it. And where a load of people gave out shite about it when we left and they were all complaining and sighing in the lobby. So much so that my ex-boyfriend had to like huckle me out of the lobby before I actually glassed somebody. But uh, (laughs) it's about this aimless Hollywood actor who's called Johnny Marco. He's played by Stephen Dorff and he has this really empty life and it's just filled with like one night stand and booze and pills and his life just changes completely when his estranged daughter Chloe played by brilliantly by Elle Fanning uh, she comes to stay with him and he starts to just re-examine like his whole life and how superficial his existence has been and he starts to think about how unhappy he is and it's also kind of about Cleo as well about her relationship and she's trying to grasp for like meaning from this very removed elusive figure in her life and it's such a beautiful, affecting, intimate, emotional film. I watched it like a couple of times again during lockdown and there's a scene where like they dive into the pool and they're swimming and they're playing the strokes um, and there's another amazing scene where she's ice skating to Gwen Stefani and they're very long shots and I will say there's a lot of long shots in the film and I think it tried a lot of people's patience in that way if you're not willing to be given over, you give yourself over to it but it's so worth it if you do. I think it's so affecting, like I, I just think it's one of her best films. It's absolutely beautiful. Somewhere. So, somewhere, yeah? Yeah. Cool. Um, and Jay, what would you recommend for people? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, I, I don't have anything that kind of connects to this. If you can find something, go for it. Um, you love Heat, right? Uh, you think Heat's a masterpiece. Say nothing. Um, it is not uh, two, two things a book and a film uh, briefly uh, the film is one that I because it won a Spirit Award during the week and doesn't get enough mentions because of the amount of documentary films that were nominated for Oscars if this wasn't I'll recommend Passing which is on Netflix and a film I absolutely adored um, I think it's going to expectation will grow as the years go by I think what people took for nothing happening was their staint and skill and quiet and lyrical and beautiful and a reason to be a black and white Belfast. Um, a thematic reason, I mean, as opposed to, you know, oh, let's try out a lens. People like art house films. That'll get an Oscar nomination, won't it? Like Belfast. Um, okay, well, yeah, Andrew likes Belfast. I'm not going to be mean about it. I, I think it's a war crime, but we won't get into that. Um, but I, I pass okay, it. That's maybe a bit more extreme than my position on Belfast. That's maybe a little bit more extreme. I, 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 I hated it. I, I really hated it. Like, I mean, did you read the alternative ending bit during the week? That Where Brandon was going to come back to the town as an adult walking around in colour and stuff. Oh, oh my God. An <laughs> no, no, I, I do. He's the worst filmmaker ever to have a big career. Honestly, like it's staggering Bran, how inept he is. Brana's, okay, Brana's on like the Ron Howard list for me, where it's like, I, yeah, give them- I, yeah, I'm me. <laughs> I agree that I agree that it's twee, but for some reason I di- I didn't kind of it didn't grate on me. I found it endearing. I think the wrong black and white film about like fathers and sons got nominated, and Come On, Come On should have been nominated. I didn't see Come On, Come On actually. I think I want someone to do a comparison, like a comparison review between Belfast and Come On, Come On, because I think it really missed out on nominations this year, and I think Gabby Hoffman should have got one especially. Gabby Hoffman should get one. Everything yeah, she's amazing. Love her. 
but yeah, I'd recommend passing. It's on Netflix. It's easy to watch uh, in that sense and two it's stunning Rebecca performances. Hall, um, Directed by yes. Rebecca Hall, yeah. starring Ruth Bader and, and, and Tessa I, Thompson. And, yeah. I've always really her. liked Rebecca Hall. Um, in, she's great, in, in and she's got a hell of a career ahead of her as a filmmaker. I think she's, this she's is a debut. Very well about this movie. She's she's yeah. she's fiercely intelligent. She knows what she like. She yeah. researched the hell out of it. She knows exactly what she's about. Um, so yeah, absolutely get on that, I'd say. And the other thing I'll mention is a book I just read or just finished that somebody recommended to me. Uh, I tend to try to read as many, particularly debut novels or certainly other novels by working class writers because they don't tend to get through or burst through in any real way a lot of the time. And there's one that Eve Martin recommended to me and Eve, God bless her, who's done a podcast for a few times here in this parish. And will uh, soon again. And will soon, will I? Oh God, am I doing another podcast? What, what did I agree already, to? You may have already done it. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> You're so afraid. <laughs> Don't make me do this again. I, I thought I'd forgotten. Uh, but uh, the book the is... The future will uh, be better tomorrow. Wait, a, a Newcastle writer called Eliza Clark and the book's called Boy Parts, which is... Uh, it's been weirdly com- kind of compared to American Psycho, which I think is... I could see why in a kind of superficial sense, but it's a very different beast altogether. It's about a kind of woman artist to photographer and slash kind of conceptual artist who kind of moves back to the northeast after being in London and having to kind of go into arts college who might or might not have had a great career in the Tracy Emin shock art kind of uh, territory but it, it's very much from her POV so it get you you only get some kind of selective information at certain points as to what and why things fell apart it's unbelievably funny and I mean it's hysterically blackly disturbingly funny where I was guff on at two in the morning because I couldn't put it down like and waking people up and stuff uh, it's about art, trauma, mental health, that kind of the hatred. I mean, seed and hatred for art house men who are bastards for the most part. Uh, and, you know, in this book and from what I understand, anybody who's worked in the arts in real life. Uh, and uh, it's in moments that are in quiet, that are just stunning little revelations and kind of thought processes behind it. It's just incredible really haunted me I only finished it about four or five days ago and I can't stop thinking about it and uh, highly recommend it and it's by parts by parts B-O-Y-P-A-R-T-S B-O-Y uh, I beg your pardon yeah uh, Eliza Clark is named writer it's a debut novel from Newcastle she's great uh, and the book is tremendous and ferocious though it's not for the for the easily offended or easily shocked it, it's 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 a lot but my god it's a when the lot is this great give me a lot every time and compares Timothée Chalamet to a big yes that's a clip of it yeah it's a great line I mean you know even you're not a great it's a I agree line. but uh, I also enjoy that, that delicious baguette I mean I'm about to say yeah, don't people like <laughs> yes, baguettes that's there's nothing wrong with a baguette uh, they do um, yeah but uh, no it's great it's full of uh, paragraphs like that where it's just absolutely destroying middle class opinions and nonsense that kind of stuff it's great oh it's so funny it's really funny it's one of those books you wish you'd written you, you know there's certain things you'd like oh, wouldn't I make that film or write that song or something this is one of these things I'd love to have said I'd written even though I could never write it but I'd just love to have because it's just so funny but anyway get it it's great um, and in terms of recommendations for myself because this episode is going out pretty much live um, so I'll recommend some stuff that is out now in particular Turning Red uh, is available to stream on Disney Plus which is the uh, directorial debut of Domi Shi. 
Um, how did you how did you even understand it, Darren, if it's not from your lived in experience? Yeah, I, I mean, I know. Well, that's the thing is that normally this would be a movie that I would be almost certain that we would talk about on the 250. It is a Pixar movie. It is a coming of age movie. It has got rave reviews. It's very funny. It's very charming. But it is also a story of a an Asian Canadian young girl and has generated some furore online where, yeah, people are like, I don't understand this. It doesn't relate to me. I don't know what's going on here. And it's really depressing um, because it's like, yeah, no, this is a coming of age story. It's incredible. It's okay, Darren. Death and Frachi came out in defense of it. It just gets better. It just just keeps giving. Just keeps giving. The internet just keeps giving. What an alloy. Yeah. Uh, It's the, 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 um, like, I, I really appreciate, I think that, I think, well, I suppose Disney and um, Pixar and kind of Marvel to an extent seem to be making movies that are doing quite well, but that like there's there's a large kind of um cohort of like um Diverse white entitled um people who hate them and that they're just kind of pushing pushing them anyway. Pushing ahead and and, and, and going with it and finding their audience. Like and it doesn't matter what like people who vote for the imdb 250 have to say about it yeah, yeah, no, like, yeah. that's the thing is that this will be on disney plus it'll be like encanto it'll be a thing where like you know uh, niall murphy past and future guest of the show will have watched this 25 times because his kids uh, will have discovered it somehow and it's right. going to be on television continuously and like yeah it, things like say encanto which became this phenomenon by being on disney plus by being accessible and you know i mean there's an argument for that as well and i think to Pixar's credit, one of the big arguments about Pixar is that they are, they're not as good as they used to be. They're in the post-imperial phase of their career. They're not in that incredible 10-year stretch where they're hitting out banger after banger after banger, where it's Toy Story 1, Toy Story 2, Toy Story 3, Finding Nemo, uh, Up, Inside Out, Inside all that out, yeah. Yeah, that, those sorts of classics, uh, Monsters, Inc. even. Um, and they're not in the kind of sequel stage where it's like, you okay, that's Wally. Uh, Wally as well, yeah. yeah, in that state, in that run as well. Um, and like it's they're not in the stage where they're doing no. sequels they they did their sequel phase they did their cars too they did their monsters university they did their toy story 4 and they seem to have actually used that clout and that influence and that position after getting rid of john lasseter which is very important to the story i think to actually just say actually let's let's bring in a bunch of people whose voices we don't ordinarily hear and you end up with movies like luca movies like coco uh, movies, soul, you say, as well sorry, yep soul as well with kemp powers the soul in there. was okay though I, I i i i think i quite like soul compared to kind of like some of their recent outputs like that anyway sorry but yeah but you have like turning red which is dummy she um writing a coming of age story about a young girl going through puberty and a critic uh, who who I know has described it very affectionately as the Panda Tampon movie, uh, which is just delightful. Like, it's it's really great to have a movie that is dealing with things like puberty for kind of young girls and just kind of like talking about things that films don't normally talk about or yeah, have like and a mainstream. Well, I don't well. know, like apart from like Carrie, there's not yeah. much going in popular culture on screen where you can see somebody that like goes through menstruation which i think is absolutely insane that we don't see it enough and um only recently in the worst person in the world there's a scene with involves a tampon and i was like where do you see that you don't see that and it, it it should be all over the place and like i'm glad that there is a cartoon out there that is speaking to something that young girls go through like um i just like I, more of this please my god why is it taking so long 
That's you know, good on Disney. I look forward to torrenting it and watching it. <laughs> <laughs> Not not just in popular culture, but in society, like yeah. they, they, they. But we're now like having that discussion about discussion things about like us. yeah, about like the, the hygiene projects and like the accessibility of them and the mm. kind of like yeah, the idea that is anyway. Never mind. This is not a probably not a discussion. No, no. I I just that, remember ha- having an ex one time, and when when herself and her sister had had their period for the first time, they're all like taken out to like a fancy restaurant. And like Ronald oh, this thing. That sounds amazing. Not, not thinking about it, not talking about it instead yeah. to kind of, you know celebrate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like acknowledge it as part of growing up. Um but yes, yeah, so like it, it's really great to have a movie that is like very explicitly about that, in that it, yeah. it's like there are literally scenes with tampons and pads and all this sort of stuff in there as well. Like it's a metaphor for it, but it's also like in case you don't get what it's a metaphor for, which is kind of great and kind of nice to see. So I would wholeheartedly uh recommend that. Um, that's that's it. I, I've spent a lot of time recommending that, so I guess that's what I'm recommending. All right. So if people are looking for a bit uh, a bit more Jay, a bit more Jen, where can we find you? So Jen, where you at? What you up to? I am on Twitter at Jen Pops J E W N, where I'm talking about Javier Bardem fancying ET all the time because I'm obsessed with it now. Um, I'm also on. That's why you're in stuff. Yeah. Hello, Jen. I'm also on Instagram, the Jen Gannon. Um, I'm also on the radio. I'm on. The last word every Monday talking about telly. Um, I'm on arena sometimes talking about telly. <laughs> so anywhere there's a telly, I'm very close to it usually. And sometimes in the paper writing about telly, um, hire me. <laughs> and and you're doing work at Rogue Collective as well, which I think is probably worth mentioning. I am doing more long reads about telly. <laughs> so <laughs> that's what my life very, is centered on right now. <laughs> very worth supporting as well, actually, if, if you want to do that. Um, and Jay, where can we find you? Watch out. Watch up to. Uh, at JPR Coyle on Twitter um, I'm not up to anything really um, except watching movies and hoping I don't die in a nuclear holocaust it's a very melancholy way to close um, but I, I you know instead of selling me you should absolutely hire Jen she's great so, I do there love you go the idea you can have my recommendation <laughs> I, I I love by the way that yeah it's like and, and waiting for nuclear holocaust watching the godfather part three I mean, you know, there's worse ways to it. You get a finder's fee, though, right? <laughs> I do, yeah. I'm on, I'm on like 5%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we, we should, know, should know... Especially that, that movie idea we had, I can't remember. What's 5% of zero? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, we, we should know, by the way, that I finally realised that the face behind Jen is Lars. It's a pin-up of Lars. Um... I thought there was somebody sitting on a computer. Uh, yeah, it totally looked like God there's somebody Lars. in like the background. A, yeah. That's the Lars. That's my Lars mask. Um, I have fifty. Well, half a bed. I'm basically I bought a box of them. Like there is a story about this where I was very drunk. Because you can't buy one. Well, what happened was I was drunk, um, and a friend texted me and he said, "Have you seen that they're selling <laughs> Lars Eidinger masks on uh, Amazon?" And this is a long, long time ago. I think it was about three, four years ago at this stage. And I drunkenly said, "Well." <laughs> I'm just going to buy them all. Nobody can have them. And I bought them all. And then I woke up the next morning and I went, oh my God, how many masks have I bought? And it turns out a lot. And then like they would just keep updating me about your orders on the way. And I was like, oh God, here come the masks. Oh my God. And I got about like two boxes of like, so about like over a hundred masks anyway. So a lot of them have ended up in people's houses, but there's a good number of them sitting in my spare room. So, and just around the place. So yeah. I'm sorry. Kidding. Well, I'm like quite... I was gonna say sorry, Lars, but you should be happy. Like, it's, quite... it's a romantic comedy. Real, real girl landed Lars. <laughs> yes. Damn it! You beat me. Sorry. Damn it. <laughs> um, I, 
I did all that left. Part. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Darren's sitting there cradling the pun that he would have made, screaming silently. What was it going to be? I, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, well, it's really nice to see Lars and the real girl. Ah, anyway. All right. With that in mind, then we're wrapping up. We'll be back. Uh, you can follow us on Stitcher and SoundCloud uh, on Twitter, wherever good podcasts are found. Uh, we're taking a week off next week because we dropped a Batman episode midweek. So uh, you guys are going to be lingering on the feed for an extra week, which is is nice. Um, and we'll be back after Spacious. that week. Yeah. Um. <laughs> they need a week to listen. To us. <laughs> this is the this is the, the code of a, a podcast. <laughs> this is five hours long um, and yeah that's it we should release two versions of this but uh, and then uh, we'll be back the week after next where we'll be kind of segueing into talking about Francis Ford Coppola's other movies that have been on the list so we're going to be talking about the conversation uh, with Dean and Kira from the Sunday we're going to have a conversation about the conversation thank you so much Jay thank you so much Jen no bother huge pleasure thank you Thanks so, much. so much guys that was fun Roll on Awakenings um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and, <laughs> ghost <laughs> And, and dances with wolves. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I still love that Marty story where it's like they had me sitting in the front row with my mother and they gave the Oscar to Kevin Costner. I know. Sickening. <laughs> Poor Catherine. Poor Catherine. Catherine's revenge. Barconi. <laughs> Hey,